All right, what's good? Uh, welcome to, I was going to say everyday people. Welcome to <laughs> Reflections of a DJ, the road podcast. Um, with me, DJ Crooked, Jamie the Great, yep. uh, DJ Neva, yep. and DJ D Miles. Yep. We got a special uh, guest from New York, one of my big homies. I've known him for a long, long time. One of my favorite DJs, and he has probably, I would be, you know, dare I say, one of the best parties or the best parties in New York right now. Oh, wow. Everyday people. Uh, we got my man DJ Moma in the building. That's good. What's yeah. good? Yeah. Yeah. Happy good, to be man. here, man. Happy yeah. to be here. So I just saw you, Mo, in L.A. Uh, you so. had your everyday people party migrate to the West Coast. Seasonal migration because it's, it's a little cold in New York. Yeah. And so I wanted to talk about everyday people, but I mean fuck man that party in la was crazy it was it was like insane it was like the music was dope the energy was crazy uh the djs were dope and it just like it was uh it really made me like love djing again you know sometimes we we i, I think either last week or the week before we talked about like you know You're falling in into like dj ruts and yeah. then sometimes when you just get like you know you get like a refreshing take on music it was definitely like Every time I go to your party, everyday people, I get, like, refreshed. I get, like, you know. Well, I mean, you know, it's just, like, a continuation of the shit that we used to do in Manhattan. Like, with the party that we had with DJ Eleven and Philippe. Uh, Recoup. That was the name Recoup. of the party. Yeah, yeah. Recoup. It was just, like, playing good vibes from old school to brand new hip-hop, R&B, reggae. Just shit that we like. You know what I mean? Shit yeah. that we would want to listen to. And... Um, you know, when I first started the party with, with my partner Sada and Roble in 2012, I was hoping that, you know, the crowd would be receptive to that, that they would want to hear a wide variety of shit like I do. Yeah. And I think it caught on. And I think there's a lot of parties that kind of have that same uh, kind of variety now from hip hop to dance hall to Afro beats to old school to R&B. I mean, it's just fun. It's fun to be at and it's fun to DJ. Well, I, I want to talk about before we get into everyday people i kind of want to talk about like you as a dj so you're one of the more i mean there's a there's actually a bunch in new york but you're one of the more successful djs that was kind of like a slash promoter because you promoted your own parties right like right you kind on. of and you built a following over the last i don't know 10 15 years or something right or so that you've you've kind of when, when you know like me like me and never we dj but we're kind of i always say we're whores right we're prostitutes right right because <laughs> like we sold out you know what i'm saying <laughs> to the lowest bidder yeah right. to the <laughs> <laughs> well to the highest bidder but you know what i mean yeah but uh what do you call it um but you're like you you were grinding it out like building a following of your people and uh and you know people who wanted to hear that type of music in new york but it, it stems all the way back to like because I think I kind of, we, we linked up in like 2003 or four or something like that, right? Right around then, yeah. But when were you starting like to do parties and like promote your own shit? And why was the reason for you to promote your own parties? Like were you a DJ first or were you promoting? And then, you know, you I realized that you couldn't play the music you wanted or, or you just ended up always bringing a crowd with you whenever you DJed, you know what I'm saying? So, You know, I kind of, I kind of fell into the whole thing because I was not a DJ. I was definitely a vinyl collector, you know? like a, a basement DJ playing in my in my mom's basement. 
And then in 2003, my homie Anthony, low-key the trickster, he was like, yo, you should come out and, and DJ with us. You got, you have a really nice collection of vinyl right now. Loki the trickster is like basically Terry Richardson's like <laughs> long lost brother, right? <laughs> More or less. Yeah. yeah, he's just that cool uh, white boy who's just like, in, he's part of the culture from yeah, day yeah. one. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Um, and I basically I came out that night and I rocked and I, I rocked a great set that was rehearsed. You know, like your very first DJ set in public, you're rehearsing everything yeah. down to like the pitch and like everything you know what i'm saying you're marking the records Mm -hmm. and i I think i had a really really good set and some dude some retired police officer who owned a bar in brooklyn was like yo i really like your sound i need a saturday resident and i was like bet i'll be your guy but i had no clue how to like really manage a night for six hours damn so i i i went out that next saturday and rocked the party and all my friends came out because it was my very first gig Everybody came out. I was playing everything that I had in my crates, which was, you know, Roy Ayers, Weldon Irving, Broken Beat, Disco, like all, just some really deep shit that I was collecting at right. the time. You know what I mean? Mm. And the first week was great. And the, the second week, um, none of my friends came out because it was the second week. Right. Mm. And this Puerto Rican girls from Brooklyn had a, a birthday party and they didn't want to hear none of that shit. <laughs> and it was just it was a terrible stalemate, bro. It was a stalemate. It was like six hours of like me not having anything that they wanted. What did they yeah. want to hear? They wanted like you know, Biggie, dance hall, reggaeton, whatever. Like yeah, yeah. you didn't have any of that. Nah, no. I had like these rare twelve inch wow. that I would import from Japan or the well, UK. Yeah, or it's like <laughs> it's like when we start <laughs> when we start like DJing or when we start collecting records, right? In the beginning, we get records that we like. Yeah. We don't get records that people want to dance to. So I remember at some of the first parties that I was doing, I didn't fucking buy Missy Elliott, you know, Work these it. Missy Elliott records. Like, I didn't want that. Sh- I didn't want to yeah, hear that I'm shit. Mean, yeah. No, but you were doing parties since early on. Yeah, true. So, like, you started in, but never, you started in, like, what, 90? Like, 93? Yeah. I mean, it's 92, 93. Around I mean, I, yeah. I started maybe 2001. Oh, uh, okay. I started mm-hmm. like in the I was in the clubs in 2000 2001 mm-hmm. and I would be DJing I would be like yo I just I did my thing and then my my boy would just put on a fabulous record and it would the party would go to another level right and I'm like mm-hmm. damn man fabulous is dope like this I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know fabulous you know what I'm saying like I and mean, then he I would have, play on like a Missy Elliott I'd be like damn I, I didn't know I this like Missy Elliott I understand what you're saying like my first gig <laughs> instead of me playing like Mary J Blige which is big at the time R Kelly I was playing like Schoolie D. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the crowd looked at me as like, yo, what the fuck is this DJ playing? Yeah. It's like, yeah. everybody just stopped and looked. I'm like, oh, shit. So, so that was MoMA's moment when he was bringing <laughs> yeah, in Roy yeah, Ayers, playing okay. all this soap shit. shit. Gil yeah. Scott Heron. I was feeling myself, man. And then these, these Puerto Rican girls, they just kind of like brought me back down to earth. And the next day, I remember it was a Saturday night. The next day, Sunday, I went to Jamaica Avenue. I went to Music Factory. Yeah. And I spent... $250 and I got like one or two crates all the compilations you know the joints yeah, with like yeah, uh, yeah. the, the house party yeah. records and all yeah. of that any compilation I could get my hands on because I knew all the music it was like the white label like killer classics and all that <laughs> yeah, shit yeah, I was yeah, gonna yeah, have yeah. some of that shit <laughs> was it like the mix factors and all that right. uh, no, no, no 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 that's, that's West Coast, oh, that's West Coast. Coast. Yeah. on the East Coast we had these bootleg records they would put like the like four they're like four top songs on like on one piece of vinyl two sides had like 250 cent songs and then the other side would have like 
three songs from like I, I don't know like fabulous yeah. uh, or you'd have like you know Bell Biv DeVoe and Bobby Brown on one side yeah, yeah. and it'd be TLC and Jean A on the other side or they'll side. have like Damn. the, the Damn. best of Prince yeah. Yeah. Like, so you'll have like Kiss you'll have everything and, you know and I'm sure and I'm sure we all get it from Rock and Soul Rock and Soul Damn. and they still open I think yeah, yeah. yeah. shout yeah, they, out to Ruben if you're still there no 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 Ruben Ruben moved to Miami oh that's right yeah actually he moved to the Bahamas or some shit Damn, Damn. Like just, just keep getting warmer and warmer. Yeah, I don't know. But uh yeah, I mean, shout to Rock and Soul, man. I mean, yeah, man. But yeah, yeah. So that that was your moment of clarity, like you That like, was that was my moment where I I didn't really care to become a DJ. That wasn't even a thing that I thought I was. Okay, so, well let's talk about this because you're also one of the few dudes that juggled a corporate job. Yeah. Like Yeah. Like a nine to five. Moma doesn't need a DJ, you know what I'm saying? Like he went to school. I read graduated. You're, yeah, you're an electrical engineer. Right yeah. on. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like this motherfucker builds like fucking hospitals and shit. Like he does wow. the engineering for hospitals. Why are you DJing, bro? You know what I'm saying? So he, there was a time when I first met him. You were kind of semi-established, kind of bubbling a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he was juggling. He was working a nine to five, and finessing the nine to five, and then like DJing like two to three nights a week, something like that, right? More, more or less. More. Yeah. 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 Damn. And, and and sometimes I finessed it like, I think the ultimate finesse was when I had four projects on the West Coast. I had one in, in Phoenix, um, one in San Francisco, L.A., and Vegas. Projects for your engineering. For shit. the engineering. Yeah. And I would kind of try to schedule the meetings on consecutive nights where dope parties was happening. So I would pull up on Monday in Vegas <laughs> so I could open up for Crooked at a, Jet. What, what was your Monday night? It's Jet. Jet. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd end up Thursday and I'd be in the Bay with Saquon at um, yeah. the Thursday party that he had. And I forgot what I would do in L.A., but I would just kind of like try to make, try to connect all the dots. I he, would, he would like wake up the next morning, like we'd be hungover, you know what I'm saying? Like we'd have a, like an all-night bender. We'd be up to like 7 a.m. in the morning. He'd be on a conference call at like 9, 9 a.m., like in his like boxes, like half dead. <laughs> <laughs> and on a conference call he'd just wait for his name to come up <laughs> and he'd be like uh yeah so uh yeah so i think uh i think we can uh yeah we accommodate, can, that. We can yeah. accommodate that <laughs> i approved <laughs> i think we can accommodate that yeah. that's crazy yeah so and you nice. know that was that was just like a part of my life where i could burn the candle at both ends you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. i always try to tell people like if you're gonna go hard you gotta go hard under the age of you know 35 34 uh, because at some point, just time is going to catch up to you, and you won't be able to work a full-time job and DJ on the side. But you could do it in your 20s. So do that shit in your 20s. Yeah. Get some money. Invest in your DJ career. You know, buy the equipment. Buy the records. If you gotta, if you got to get a photographer or a website designer, do all that shit, and that will allow you to kind of, like, build your brand early on. So then you can get to a point like I got kind of when I got to like 31, 32, people knew me to provide a certain type of vibe, a certain type of sound. Mm. But I wasn't really like a radio DJ. I wasn't a big club DJ. I wasn't like some social media. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. just so uh, organic because I had built it. Well, we always talk about like I always like whenever I have problems with like, you know, I don't know, some type of business related problems or issues. Even with like people or venues or something, I always talk to Mo because you've had those years in corporate where you can like really be very diplomatic and very PC and you know and still be firm. 
and still be firm yeah yeah because yeah. you know there'll be times when someone would run up like super rude to the dj booth and i would react like you know get the fuck out of here yeah where mo would be like hey do you want to try asking me that another way <laughs> no way <laughs> he's like your parent like but he'll do that like in such a way that the like the drunk chick requesting some shit would be like oh like i'm so i'm sorry like it would just be like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I, I, I used to do that at first. And then eventually I just became one of those DJs that would say yes to any request. I got you. And not play them. Yeah. And then it, at some point I got a bit more cynical and I started tell, I started like snapping back. Yeah. I was like, are you an only child? That one would just destroy people. Damn. <laughs> when Fuck. people run to the booth and you're like, are you an only child? <laughs> like, just like, yo. oh my God. I was so rude. I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool. They Let's got, start again. They got you sober went, right away. <laughs> but you went deep with that. That's why. Paul. Yeah, I went, yeah. I went very deep. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's the first pause. I'm, I'm taking count. Yeah, I'm one. Count. <laughs> All right, so. You, you when, when you said firm earlier, I was about to say pause, but I held off on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Nev. I appreciate you. <laughs> Nev like, I'm an OG. I know what it is. All right, so back to New York. You're DJing. You got your gig. You got through your your second night with the Puerto Rican chicks hating on you and shit. And then what were you learning at that time? Like, literally, I got to start knowing these records that motherfuckers want, you know. It wasn't so much a matter of, like, knowing these records. Because, like, I you, knew them. You know, you go to the club and you hear Stretch Armstrong play yeah. enough times. And you hear yeah. Goldfinger and, and Mr. C. I knew what I had to play, you know, after, like, Chub Rock. I knew I was going to end up playing hot music, and I knew that I was going to end up playing, you know, Alicia Myers, because everything was kind of like ingrained in my head uh -huh. from attending all these parties. I think after that, that's when I really got the the bug when I was like, yo, every night is a challenge, and you got to figure out how to solve the problem every night of getting this crowd to kind of respond to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then... I kind of just got good at it, you know, because every night was a challenge. Reading the room. Mm -hmm. Reading the room, yeah. And then knowing what songs and what, what weapons and, and shit in your arsenal to pull out and then really, like, kind of take control of the room and control right every person in the room. Yeah. No matter what race, city, or wherever the fuck, or what, you know, what borough they were from. More or less, yeah. That's crazy. And do you think that's kind of missing nowadays from some of the new DJs? Yeah, I think um, a I lot don't of them don't get to, you know, rock six hours. And, and I guess you don't have to DJ six hours to, to become a good DJ. So, you know, there's a lot of amazing DJs. But goddamn, it helps. No, yeah. But, yeah, it helps. It so helps. I used to do house parties, and that's how I learned how to work the, the you know, being an opener and then a headliner and then a closer because I had to put all the records in order. Right. So those marathon sets are very critical in the beginning of DJing, in my opinion. You learn that shit from a house party? Yeah. My house party used to be the shit. Yeah, open or close a headline. That right? was me, though. That was the whole thing. Okay. But I, I would come to Vegas early on and then check out our our opener here, fucking uh, Darren being a professional at opening. Not that he's a just opening DJ, but he did great at that shit. And I would go back and the next house party would be like, oh, let me, let me throw this shit on because it worked. But it was, I don't know, it, it, those marathon sets work. So I suggest all DJs. Yeah, and, and I'm just picturing Jamie in his backyard. No, it was inside. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's LA, so the weather is with, good. With his nieces and nephew running around and shit. Nah, you are. Were you on with, the grill at the same time when no, you were DJing? No, no, with, a, with a bucket of Coronas. <laughs> <laughs> bucket of Coronas. Nah. Man was man was flipping burgers and shit. Nah, and but the, the doing house the next mix. <laughs> I love the house parties in LA. I haven't been in a house party in a long time. Man. I know it's been years. Shit, shit. but uh, all right. So yeah, but to your point, yeah. It, that's, I think it's definitely missing from, from the younger DJs because even with, with everyday people now, a lot of young DJs want to DJ the party, you know, because it's really the, the main demographic for that party is 22 to like 35. Like I'm past the main demo for that party. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but And they're all like, yo, I would, I would rock your party. I would kill it. I would smash it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm well aware that you can play the top five Migos records and the top few Drake records for 45 minutes in prime time but i'm not interested in booking you for that you know i want to know who can create a vibe like during the second or the third hour of it's a day party so it's like six or eight hour party and there's definitely less younger djs who can do that like you can put them on at 5 p.m and just like yo have fun play 2000s play you know play ja rule play some old reggae play some future soul shit and let's see if you can get the crowd rocking you know and i think all all of those peripheral genres, that's what you get from playing really long sets because you have to develop all of that because you can't just rely on, you know, your bag of Jay-Z and, and Biggie hits. You know? Right. And at least mm-hmm. this is back in 2003 for me. Nice. And then, like, 2005, 2006, moving forward, you created this dope fucking party in New York called The Good Spot. The Good Spot. The yeah. Good Spot. It was on a Monday at 105 Rivington. Right. And that was, like, the first time I actually saw, like, Momo would have, like, he would DJ in different, you know, clubs and different lounges in New York. And he'd have his following. But it was the first time that I would actually go to one of his parties. And it felt like a movement mm-hmm. where, like, everyone, you know, you were, I mean, the the big thing at that time that you, you were playing, like, you know, R&B classics. Then you'd play some soccas, a lot of reggae. And then he, and then towards the end he hit him with like the new hip hop, some of like, some of that shit. And then you kind of come back around to like reggae, and then you maybe kind of even drift off to like, a little bit of house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it was like a movement where you kind of like I got to experience this because, I mean, it was like, an all black crowd, but it was like a different black crowd from like a quote unquote stereotypical hip hop black crowd. It was like a worldly, like black, yeah, it was African, a- Jamaican, Caribbean. It was like all of these like beautiful people, and it was just like just like a, it just looked like a movie. It just looked crazy, like and the energy was insane, and the music was just like it was like there was no genre, there was no like fixed genre or stereotype that you could well, put on it. It was just kind of like insane. Like I'd be talking to like. You know, I'd be talking to, like, a, a black dude from London, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I'm talking to, like, a Jamaican chick or, like, you know, and it's someone from, like, you know, uh, Somalia. You know, it's just, like, all of these <coughs> different worldly people in one room. Well, I've been to the party also. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of, like, early New York, like, the mid-90s on the Lower East Side. Like, the, um, we used to have parties at lounges. Like Ludlow was, Lounge and exactly, shit. Exactly, yeah. yeah. The vibe is, like, all good music, good people. This is like before bottle service was even thought of. Mm. And that's the vibes that that party reminded me of when I used to go check yeah, it out. Yeah, that party was fun, man. And that, it was, it was, was day, like, it was all party. love. It was like, exactly, when you walked yeah. in, if you walked in a room, it's like someone would just be like, oh, you get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, you're in this room for a reason. 
Yeah. Or it, shit, it's your first time. Like, yo, you're gonna have a good time tonight. You're like, you're <laughs> in for like, yo, you're in for a good night. And there was yeah. no one there till like twelve thirty on a Monday yeah. night. Mm-hmm. On a Monday night, people showing up at twelve thirty, and, and it we was went insane. till four, four, four thirty every night. Yeah, damn, that was dope. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane party, and yeah. it was like every time I was in New York, I was like, I gotta go to that fucking party. Yep. And the only times I would actually DJ that shit. Was your birthday? My birthday, yeah. and his birthday would be insane. Mm-hmm. And it usually be me, uh, Sean Perry, DJ Eleven, DJ Eleven, and, and, and Stimulus was Stimulus my uh, that, yeah. my co-resident. On yeah, Monday Stimulus night. was his, yeah. was his partner he, at the he's time. He let me rock a few times yeah, at yeah. the party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. one of those. Like I remember you telling me, like when Never Spun Day, he, like you played um, Wu Tang Clan, you nothing to fuck with, right? Could have been, yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying even at, even at that time, like hearing that record in the club was just kind of like, holy shit, man! Mm. Like this crazy, right? I, never, I, I think I have a recording of you from Monday. Get night. Get out of here! You yeah. serious? I have a recording of Never from Monday night. Yeah. I kind of want to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> can we borrow that and put the end of this podcast? No, I want to hear it. Y'all, you can't. Hear it. <laughs> I, I want to ask you something. So when when did that first that good spot start? The good spot actually started uh, November. 2007 it was Sinclair's birthday Sinclair who was kind of like the main promoter tonight I Mm. actually kind of knew him but not knew him but he was a bartender at PM right he was he bartended at Kane oh one he was probably at one at Kane he did parties at Lotus because he kind of promoted too at the same time yeah yeah so when you started that did you know what you were doing no we had no clue we had no we didn't want to do it. We just wanted to do Sinclair's birthday on Monday night. And then Henri, you know Henri the tall um doorman, he's Belgian and African. He's got a what sounds like a French accent. No, that sounds amazing though. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, Papa, you guys have to do this party again, Papa. And we was like <laughs> was like there's no way we can do a weekly Monday. Nobody wants to come out on Monday. No, you guys got the juice, you guys can do it, Papa. And you know, he took us out to brunch. And convinced us. And like reluctantly, me and Sinclair and Stim were like, all right, we'll do it. And we did it. And the first three months, it was slow. But whoever came through the door, they just got to vibe with us. Whatever yeah. we were playing. We were playing Kenna, um, you know, LCD sound system or whatever. And people was just vibing with us. It was such a cool vibe. And then April, something happened. Like something was sparked and it was packed every night starting April 2008. <clears throat> something happens in New York. Like springtime, yeah. Like motherfuckers, the sun comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what fucking happens. Well, the sun comes out. Well, it gets warmer. Like chicks just get a little bit more open. People want to mm-hmm. be out a little bit more. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the vibe definitely changes in New York. Mm-hmm. But all right, for this party, did you like wanted to do something that wasn't found typically in a club, like a club vibe? Yeah, because it was so industry. You yeah. know, every a lot of the people that came through worked in nightlife, so they heard it all. They, they heard the best DJs, you know, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So the thing we was trying to do was just, like, that really, really different, you know. Yeah. It sounds like you you wanted to show, like, a more of a gathering than a, than a, than a club scene, party scene. Like, I mean, just everybody just listens to the good music and vibe out and dance. Right, but it was all dance music. But okay. you were, like, you were DJing. He was doing his regular gig, so he would have, like, a regular Saturday, a regular Friday at whatever. But mm-hmm. then there was this one thing every week that was just kind of his. Right on. Yeah. And you kind of curated it. And this is the thing is that, Mo, you're, you're, like, extremely calculated. It's probably that engineering shit. Indeed. You know what I'm saying? 
so that he wants to actually curate the night a certain fucking way mm. so he'll say like all right beginning of the night should be this and then second like from 10 to 11 this 11 to 12 this 12 to 12 30 this and then 12 30 to one this and then one to two we could do like this and i remember him like talking to me like that i'm like yo how do you curate that with the with these all these guest djs and juggle it all out you know what i'm saying but mm -hmm. he would do that shit well and you know i think it was also one of the parties that had some of the best guest djs you know this mm -hmm. is before this is you know before controller djs and shit you know let's let's be frank you had you ellie know? there ellie esco yeah escobar <laughs> Grew up in my building, you know. You know, obviously you played there. Eli Escobar played there. Um, Evil D, you know, and you know somebody like Evil D, you don't you don't give him no script. Just give him the mic. Evil D on the mic, come on, kick it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He's gonna do his thing, and but because he'll be like, oh, these guys are going a little deeper. So you'll hear him play like disco classics. You'll hear him play a little house. And then he'll come back to his bread and butter, hip hop or whatever. Uh, but you know everybody that we had rocked that party like DJ Lindsay. Did you ever have Soul? Did you DJ Soul? Soul rocked that party, of course. Um, damn, so many years I, I can't really remember. But Did you guys ever bring no artists around? Yeah, he would have performances. One you know, year, yeah. every yeah. now and then we yeah. actually had uh, low key. We, we had we had J Cole's first. Yeah, New I was going to ask that shit. <laughs> was you know, and it, it, that was probably at a time when I wasn't really producing like really big events yet. Yeah. So I wasn't as well like versed into how you should introduce an artist and you know the timing of the night. How was that first performance by Cole? It was like we really like we strand we hung him out to dry. <laughs> it was because it was a small room and the stage doubled as a as a stripper pole. Oh, oh no. my god! Yeah, I have something to say. Go ahead, keep going. And but but the stripper pole was amazing. That's where everybody would dance up there. The girls would gravitate to the pole. Dudes would dance next to the girls. Yeah, yeah. And then we're like, I was like, all right, Cole, I'm going to get you a mic. And he went up there, and I ran back to the booth to play the music. And Cole was like, oh, word, bro, you're not even going to introduce me? <laughs> <laughs> and so this kid that nobody knew uh, was just standing up there, uh, and I started playing the music. But he was so good already at that time. Did that you know what songs did you play? So I'm a big Cole fan, bro. I'm uh, was this like Grown Simba or some shit like okay. that? Okay. So it was like... Pre warm up, a little warm up. Yeah, I think it's probably around grown Simba era. Okay. Um, well, can we go into why you're close with Cole, like, and your uh, brothers and yeah, shit? Yeah, right yeah, on. Yeah. Um, so I, I went to St. John's University, um, in uh, in Jamaica Queens. Yeah. And uh, because I to, of that, I went to St. John's for one year. <laughs> 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 go, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and 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 because of that, I think. My brother Ibrahim was like, "All right, I'll go to St. John's too," you know, because it was easier for him to get accepted, I guess, because I, yeah, I had went there. there and I had a really stellar record. Um, so we got him up in there, and I, that's where he met Cole, who had moved to New York from Carolina to go to school, and they kind of just became best friends, you know what I mean? And Cole was just always in our house in our basement, and uh, you know, before they were both like, you know, at the top of the music industry, right? I was yeah. just kicking them niggas out of my basement you know <laughs> it's like yo whose socks are these yo who's you know why is the tv on yeah i was just like that dude who would come home from like work you were the like older irate. brother yeah you're the older brother just or they would like pull up to the party with like six dudes yeah yeah. Th three of my brothers cole and you know maybe adam and um adam. and, and Dwayne, <laughs> you know, Dwayne, people yeah, that yeah. you know intimately from yeah 
and I'll just come outside and be like, yo, I can't believe six niggas. What are you guys doing to me? <laughs> and they're not, You're they're, killing me. And they're not like small. They're, they're tall. tall. They're, they're six tall, three. man. They're tall. They look like a basketball team. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, all right. Yo. And then they'll be, like, be like, all right, thank you, Mo. Thank you, Mo. You know? That's now, crazy. Uh, now, evidently, uh, Cole is super mega and Eve is uh, the president of Dreamville Records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that worked out pretty well for them, you know? That's crazy. And then your young, and then even your your youngest brother is Boss. Boss, Boss. Boss is the youngest. He signed to Dreamville. Fiend. Yeah, yeah, he signed to Dreamville. I remember he just the whole college thing wasn't working out for him, and I was just like, man, why don't you just follow me, come to the club gigs, and open up for me? I gave him my old MacBook. You know, remember the black MacBook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave him that shit. I said it's loaded with music. Just come and open up for me, and he would open up for me sometimes uh, Monday nights. Yeah. <laughs> Was it, was it DJ Boss or was it something we else? He had no he had no name. He was just there at ten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Did you, you throw, did you just throw him a couple of dollars or something? I didn't throw him nothing. <laughs> a couple of drinks. Yeah, just hopefully that's you it. get a girl. Yeah, you're in the club. He potentially might have been underage. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. It was a good yeah. vibe for him. Um, and I think ultimately, because a bunch of his boys went to NYU, Derek and um, all these other dudes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they started throwing parties at NYU. The boss would DJ. Oh, okay. And that kind of started. And then they felt like, yo, maybe we could do events. And they started doing events downtown. Across the street from yours. But not <laughs> more like West Village around NYU area. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that in the nightlife, you got to have a lot of cachet to deal with these venues. You know what I'm saying? Or they're going to try to G you. And they got G'd by every venue. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like bar percentages, all the shit they were supposed to get, they were not getting. Right. And well, break that down a little bit because I don't know if a lot of motherfuckers understand the promotional side of the, oh, the shit. That, yeah, side. yeah, yeah. Oh. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring you up because it's not easy to promote, market, and take care of a guest list, curate a crowd, a, a, a beautiful, attractive crowd, get girls. And, yo, like the hardest thing a promoter, one of the hardest things for a male promoter, right, is to like keep – you know, a steady stream of young chicks coming in. Because mm-hmm. at a certain point, after three or four years, your young chicks start getting older. Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't want to <laughs> They don't want to go out no more, yo. Like, they start you know, having babies. They, got, they yeah, start, yeah, they start wanting to settle down. Settle down. Boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. And I remember one of our boys who was promoting, he wouldn't, he wouldn't like, refresh his, mm. his, his, cycle uh, of women. his contacts. Yeah. Right. So, they, <laughs> there would be, like, a bunch of aunties showing up to the party. <laughs> and then wild. Mo would be like, yo, man, come on, man. You need to, like. You need to get some new contacts, man. <laughs> Go recruit some more, bro. Right, yeah. New draft. You but, draft I mean, new, new draft. Let's talk about that because I, I remember I threw parties and I couldn't even handle it. It would be like, well, yeah, you could get 15% of the bar, but you got to reach like a 2000 minimum at the bar. Right. And then you can't charge at the door, but if you can charge at the door, you know, I don't know. Like, we take the door. Well, yeah, or well, you, it, it, you, you know, know, it depends on the venue. And I think um, – Something that worked in my favor is that we would try to go in um, on nights where the club was dark. So Monday night, Tuesday night, you're not making any money. You know what I'm saying? You're just paying rent. Right. So we would come in on a Monday and be like, yo, we could do this. We could rank four or $5,000 at the bar. We do it four times a month. We just rank 20 Gs for you. We took care of your rent. You know what I'm saying? So you got to give us a good deal. And we would, we would politic deals where we would get a DJ fee. It was nothing crazy, maybe three to $500. Mm-hmm. And then we'd get a percentage above uh, a certain ring at the bar. A lot of times back then, for the small venues downtown, it would start around $2,500. Uh, 
probably around 25 we'd start getting a percentage and if you you know if you had a good night the bar rang ten thousand dollars um that's you know two g's plus your three or four hundred dollar dj fee that's twenty three hundred dollars you know if you got a team of four or five people that's decent bread you know what i mean for a monday night and yeah. you, you wouldn't typically charge at the door Nah, nah. I only started charging for parties when they got really big, you know. But is it still like a crazy cover charge or no? Uh, no. Our parties currently with um, everyday people it ranges from free to twenty at the most. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, but it ends up being usually ten or fifteen. That's good. Did that's anything good. Did anything change for you, like going from like vinyl DJing on vinyl? To when technology started kicking in and you started getting on Serato, like, did anything change for you musically? Or with your parties? Mm. Was there any disadvantage, advantages? No, I, I think for me it was all advantages. Yeah. Because I was, I was an overpacker of crates. Mm -hmm. You know, I would have, like, two hand trucks because I would try to play so many different genres. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me Serato was a blessing because after that, you know, I used to try to hail a cab with two hand trucks. Like, you can imagine being a African dude in Manhattan with two hand trucks. Been there. <laughs> at 4.30 in the morning trying to hail a cab. It was just like there was no way to, to do it. I would hide the hand trucks behind parked cars. Yeah. Then I would hail the cab. I would open the door, throw my bag in there, and leave the door open. And then I'd just come out with the hand trucks. And I'm like, don't worry. I'm not going anywhere far. I'm only going a few blocks. <laughs> and then they were relaxed. And that's, you know, Damn. this is before Uber. Before Serato, it was just a whole different ball game. Yeah, there would be, there would be times when I would have to hail the cab and Mo would have to hide behind cars. <laughs> Remember that? One hundred percent. Yo, like these cab drivers did not stop for black people. So like nah, in New York, crazy. Man. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Like, but this is like. I remember he, I, we, we we tried. We Damn. had. Remember we were like, yo, this get is, the cab this is and until they Uber. It was. Uber came really? around and they fucked with the cabbies business so hard that they all got humbled. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Now cabbies just like skirt like they pull over for you in a heartbeat. But before you Uber You didn't even lift the hand the whole way. It's like yeah. I'm real. stretching, I don't need a cab. <laughs> <laughs> they'd either do that or they'd be like, I'm not going to Brooklyn. Be like, Well, I'm not going to Brooklyn either. either. Like chill <laughs> the fuck out. You know what yeah. I mean? They would do shit like that. That's it was foul. definitely racial profiling. Damn. And the fucked up thing is a lot of the drivers are like, you know, are fucking minorities too, man. Right, They're right. immigrants as well, man. I don't know. But yeah, there was mad times like, yo, I would never see Mo lose it, but you would lose it with cabs, yo. Well, I used to hold um, a nickel in my hand <laughs> when I was hailing a cab. And if they drove past me, I would throw it at them. <laughs> so it was like, motherfucker. And you know, a nickel, that can do some damage, especially yeah. if you like hit the glass. Yo, you don't know how many times these cabbies would just stop. And I'm like, what? What? And then they look at me, I look crazy and shit. <laughs> and they drive off. I'm not fucking with him tonight. Like, thank God I didn't pick this motherfucker up. <laughs> That's why they stopped in the first place. I mean, you're kind of you're making it worse, though, aren't you? Kind of a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I did. I, I let it. I let it get to me. I mean, one day it was pouring, pouring like movie rain. Right? This cabbie's pulling up to pick me up, and then he sees a white dude up the street and Shoot. speeds off at the last second. <laughs> But, bro, to, like, make it worse, I got splashed because it was raining. Damn. And, bro, I just lost it. I had this little umbrella in my hand. So I ran. I ran after him because he fucked up. He stopped at the next light. I ran up on him. And I can imagine that from inside the car, 
to just seeing like a crazy dude yelling because they can't hear me. And I'm like, what the fuck? How are you going to drive off on me? And he was like, what are you talking about? The white dude in the back is like petrified. And um, I'm holding the umbrella and I just swung and smashed the side view mirror. Right? <laughs> and it like shattered and the side view mirror has a cable in it. And it was, just, it was just hanging. <laughs> and then I, I realized what I did <laughs> in the middle of traffic. <laughs> mad cars looking at me. Yo, I just bowed it and ran in like Madison Square Park. Like I chugged the umbrella like it was a weapon. Like it was evidence and shit. He right? started cleaning the umbrella for yo, fingerprints. And, and then I got mad like, you know, paranoid. I was like, this dude could be calling the cops on me. Yeah, yeah. I more or less assaulted him. But I, mean, I, you yeah, know, I think this might have uh, um, the statute of limitations might have expired. No, on that you're crime. good. You're good. The you know, one that never is, expires is the murder. This one. is 1991. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy. They never yeah. found the umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. That's wild, man. Fuck. Sounds horrible. Like horrible. It is fucking horrible. Oh, thankfully yeah. in LA we didn't we didn't really experience too much cab drivers and shit like that. You guys so. drove, right? No, yeah. but y'all got pulled over. Y'all, the same thing for y'all is probably getting pulled over, right? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Well, I never really. I didn't know. The back streets, man. That's probably the equivalent, <laughs> in the certain, closest thing, in right? In certain neighborhoods, like rolling three, four deep, it was like automatic. Yeah. You're getting the, pulled the over. The crashing, it were coming hot. Yeah. And the crashing, right. it doesn't have the sirens on top, so you don't know what's what. D, you got a nice car right now too. Yeah. You got a Range Rover. Yeah, you definitely be pulled over. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, we just steal this from. And it'll be like guy. it'll be Damn. stupid. Like, well, how do you afford this? Like, how do you? What do you still do for a living? Yeah. Do you sell drugs? Like stupid questions. I'm like, no, I don't sell. Wait, drugs. recently? Yeah, yeah. They, how do you afford this? Yeah. Damn. Like just like stupid. Like as if like I have to be doing something illegal to drive this car. Yeah. I, mean? I have gotten that's that crazy. Too. Is yeah. that even though my car is not as nice as him? One hundred. Yeah. L. A. How about Vegas? Nah, nah. it hasn't happened in Vegas. Cause I don't really drive happens anywhere. Frequently there's, there's no police in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're out there. I've not even seen a police car. They're, they're out there. No, they just hit in the in the crevices. Of Vegas the motherfuckers are pretty cool though, man. Yeah, yeah, they're nice. Uh, they're, I, I, I think everything as in Vegas cool as is a cop so close. Can be, right? uh, yeah, you don't, have, exactly. I don't drive anywhere far enough to get pulled over. Right. Everything is like five, ten minutes. Right well, I got, I almost got pulled over, but I, I live like in a white neighborhood, so they see like. A brown kid driving around they're like oh you're speeding i'm like it's 35 <laughs> i was like yeah you're going 37 i'm like oh the fuck but Hilarious. that's what happens man and then they're like oh you you drug dealing over here i'm like no so, oh, it's because this car's a drug I, have, I drive a charger this is a drug dealing car this one in the chrysler 300 you look like you deal weed though James. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal now he looks like so he, good. he's like a shitty weed dealer like you deal like I'll some shitty him. ass he'll weed. give you garbage <laughs> <laughs> don't buy it from me now skim the weed fucking sells weed to high school middle school kids that's what yeah, you yeah but like. I, I almost got pulled over for that shit <laughs> I got pulled. Like he like Yo. screamed on. He was on the bike. And he was Jamie looked like he in ten years he could own like a candy candy shop, like a real <laughs> shitty candy comic shop. <laughs> <laughs> Selling old candy. Shit. That's but, wild. Yeah, yeah. Well, back. Well, go ahead. I know. I was gonna say I've been in New York a few times and I've had I've dealt with cabs and it's annoying. Yeah. Uber changed that whole Uber, shit. Though. Uber changed the game yeah, yeah. though. I mean, there was like a few times I'd be with like chicks and they were like, oh, let us get it. Because if they see you. Yeah, 100%. Damn, that's Damn, what fucked kind of, up. What kind of chicks had to get it? What were they, Asian? Puerto Rican? Nah, Dominican? Nah. <laughs> 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 Yo, do do women have, like, do black women have problems getting cabs? I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes black men. Sometimes yeah. they do. That's crazy. Yeah. Sometimes they do. That sucks. It's not as bad. It's not as bad, yeah. but sometimes they do. They, they usually have problems with like, they'll get in the car and then the cabbie will like, 
take exception to the destination. You know what I mean? It's like, no, I'm not going to the Bronx or I'm not going to Brooklyn. Right. It's always Bronx and Brooklyn. Bronx what kind of what kind of uh, the races mostly that that drive the cabs out there? I'd say the vast majority is uh, South South Asian, like you know, oh, okay. in, Indian, mm. Pakistani, Bengali, Sri Lanka. Yeah, and that's probably a good fifty percent of them. I didn't see white cab drivers till I came to Vegas. Really? Yeah. yeah. Damn. And these motherfuckers don't shut the fuck up. <laughs> it, it happens in the Ubers too, by the way. Like, yeah, they don't shut the fuck up. They ask me about, oh, what do you do? Oh yeah, you live there. How much rent do you pay? How much do you make a year doing that? I'm like, yo, why the fuck are you asking me all this yeah, shit? Man. You see, we it's have annoying. nice cars and you have a nice place. Dude, I love going back to New York and getting in a cab or getting in a, in a car and having a motherfucker. I don't know where the fuck he's from. Play where the music of wherever the fuck he's from. Mm-hmm. Talking on his phone in whatever fucking language he's in yeah. and leaving me the fuck alone. I know. I, I, I love the that. Same way, man. I love that ambient noise. Do your thing, homie. Get me to right where on. we need to get. <laughs> And he's going crazy, speeding, getting me off there, and then pause. And then, uh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> That's three, bro. That's three. That's three. That's three. Uh, but, yeah, I want to go back to this party. Yeah. Because at the height of the party, at the good spot, right, at 105 Remington, when it was like you could literally keep it, pro- like you could keep the shit going. I remember having dinner or, like, we met up for drinks, and you are like, yo, man, I think, I think I'm going to just end the party. Right. And I still to this day don't understand why the fuck you did it. And when you ended it, there was a good, I don't know, one-year hiatus or so until you, and then this is when you started Everyday People, right? Yep. But take me down that lane because as a DJ, right, who's whored himself out and, you know, you know, you know, just plays for like, you know, the what the clubs want me to play and stuff like that. Were you feeling stifled created, creatively? You know what I mean? Did you feel like it was becoming cliche by, by the Monday night party? Yeah, the Monday good the, yeah. the good spot party. Uh, I, I'm gonna say I still think it was probably one of the better musical nights. Yeah, that was going on in the city, but I just thought it was trending in the wrong direction. You know what I mean? Mm. A lot of motherfuckers were trying to do similar parties, right? Yeah, and they were they weren't really like catching it, but it was kind of you thought it was maybe like I just thought it was trending in in, in, in the wrong direction. I remember like. The vibes and how amazing and everything was in 2009. And then by the end of 2011, I was like, it's just going in the wrong direction. If I keep this shit going, it's got to be on like the downward side of the arc. Right. You know what I mean? And I just don't want people to ever be like, yo, this party used to be dope, but it got whack. And you're always going to have like the early adopters are always going to say that. You know, the people who was at Everyday People. I don't think anyone ever said that about the good spot to be safe. You know, what I'm Yo, you, you got you got those people. You got really? those people because uh, you know there's some people who feel. Well, I didn't go there every week, so that I don't no, know. But you got some you people know? who feel very special when they're the only ones who know about a party right, early right, on, right. and then it gets a bit more notoriety, and they're like, "Who are these people?" And then it's, that same crowd gets a little bit older, <laughs> yeah. so they get a bit more resentful. They see like some 25 year olds pulling up, and they're like, "Oh, they don't know how to party like us," and it's just some you know innate hate that people have. You're always going to have a small segment of the early adopters of your party. Mm-hmm. They're going to talk shit about your party when it gets bigger. I mean, that's inevitable. They're going to call you a sellout in a way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But my whole thing was like, I, don't, I didn't really care about those people, you know, because I was like, yo, I thanked them for their support. They stopped coming anyway. My whole thing was like, I didn't want like 
general population, excuse me, I didn't want general population to be like, yeah, this party's not all of that. I don't know what the fuss is. So I was like, let me just quit it at a point where it's still pretty good. And you sensed that, though, just yeah. walking through the room or just when you were DJing? Like, what, what were the signs, maybe? You know what I mean? I mean, the signs were maybe in 2008. We're playing all these genres, and we're playing 20 to 30 minutes of new hip-hop at most, yeah, right? Yeah. And then, you know, middle of 2011, we're playing two hours of new hip-hop. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, there's still four hours of really good shit, but you you can't ignore that. And so you're just become you're becoming like a hip hop party instead of the good spot. Exactly. Right. I, I don't think we're not a hip hop party yet, but I see it. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And because at the time I was still corporate, I didn't have that pressure. It wasn't my livelihood to keep the party going weekly for that check. Right. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So that was a luxury where I could be like, mm. You know, big picture, this might not be the best thing for the brand of the party and potentially my own brand. Mm -hmm. So let's just, like, shut it down gracefully and something else will pop up at so, some point. So then when you shut it down, there was a good year or so, right, where you were just kind of doing your regular gigs, but you didn't have that one party. And then you had all of these people coming up to you like, yo, when are you going to bring the good spot back? When are you going to bring that shit back? Right. And then you came out with a day party. Um, and... It, and not to not to say like this in a fucked up way, but I don't think there was a Black Day party. No, there wasn't. That's exactly why you we know started. What I'm and I think it's maybe one of the first Black Day parties that I ever seen. And mm -hmm. and I was like, oh shit, that was pretty. That was fucking smart. And and what made you you know go that way? Uh, bro, I mean, it was totally a coincidence, man. It was just a coincidence. Um, I had thoughts. You, wait, not to cut you off, because you were fishing. You were like thinking and you like, I haven't found it yet. I haven't found the right idea or concept yet. Right. But, uh, but again, I wasn't like, I was impressed because I was still working corporate. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, whatever. If I can't come up with a good party this week, I'll go on vacation somewhere. I was chilling. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I um, remember I, I, I heard a, I heard you say that, um, luckily you had an out that a lot of people don't have the luxury to find that out from the corporate. Well, that's at, after everyday people, and I guess we can get into that a little bit. After that, I got big enough, and I just started seeing the type of numbers that we could generate. I was like, yo, I can quit this corporate for good, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't ever a case of, like, whatever corporate money I made, I'm going to be able to make it up with the parties. No, I was aware that I was leaving money on the table. But that freedom, I think it's worth, like, 100, 100 racks, you know? Yeah. The freedom. So if you put a number to that, it's like, cool, I'll adjust my lifestyle. I'll fucking ride the subway. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, at the time, uh, was there any day parties in New York going on? They were. And that's where uh, we had seen him, uh, my partner in, in Everyday People, Sada, and I. You know, we had been to parties at, like, you know, Bagatelle. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And champagne brunches in the meat yeah, packet yeah. and shit like that. Even Lava had one, right? No, Lava wasn't open yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Bagatelle is probably the most famous one. And yeah. we had been invited to a couple. And we just like the whole concept of, you know, you're hanging out, you're eating. You can party, turn up. And then you can leave and it's like 8 or 9 p.m. You know what I mean? But we hated the music. It was just like, you know, it's when just at the height of EDM, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> as, as, as douchey and Euro as it could get. You know what I mean? And um, Sada was like, we should start a day party. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think I have the time for it. And then my homie Justin, who used to manage 105 Rivington, who ended up managing all the food and beverage at the Rivington Hotel, was like, you should start a day party. And I was just like, all right, this, ain't, this can't be a coincidence. He's offering me the venue, and Sada wants to do the day party. So then I arranged the meeting between the two, thinking, you know, Sada's going to run with this shit, and I'm just going to be the DJ, you know? Uh-huh. I, it ended up being that I was the one with all the nightlife experience. So I ended up running most of it. Uh, but it worked out. You so know, the, the first venue was which one? The first venue was the Rivington Hotel. It was. It okay. wasn't, but it wasn't 105. It was the restaurant right next to it, Co-op. That kind of opened up. That right? kind of opened so up. So, like, yeah, the front windows kind of opened up, <coughs> like a garage. I don't know. Garage style, yeah. Yeah, yeah right garage on. style, yeah. And, and you know, the first one we did was, was just that. It was brunch. It was from 12 to 4 or 12 to 5. And the crowd that came out was so incredible. Everybody was just like, yo, who are these motherfuckers? Like, this is the... This is like Sly and the Family Stone t- 2012 version, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it looked like a fashion show, you yeah. know? And we got to air out musically because they all had great musical taste. But then at 4, the venue was like, or 4.30, it was like, all right, we got to turn the restaurant around for dinner service. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, Mo, what's, what's the afters? What's the after party? Right. I had nothing. <laughs> And we all s- stepped out. There was 150 beautiful black people out on the street, on Rivington, just standing out there with nothing to do, right? And then I was like, all right, I know for the next time I'm going to reuse that room at 105 Rivington where we did the Monday night party. Oh, mm-hmm. and make that the after. Make that the after. So the next one was, it was smooth. Brunch was popping, people were hanging out, grooving. And then once we had to, like, clear out the room, there was a side door. We went in 105 Rivington. You and took him to the club that was formerly of the good spot. Right. right, right. And it was now it was dark. Little candles on, you know, the coffee tables. Yeah. The music is louder. And that turned into an all-out dance party until about 9. And, uh, you know, we did that two or three more times. And then we outgrew the venue. And we moved to the DL. After only two, three more times. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Were you doing it every week, every Sunday? No, no. Nah, nah, it was monthly. No. Monthly. Oh, okay. And then you found the perfect venue. DL was the perfect venue. It was two blocks down. Multiple floors. On Delancey and Essex. Three floors, like a restaurant floor. A rooftop. um, uh, What you call it? That opens and closes. Yeah. So it was weatherproof, basically. You know what I mean? Year round. Um, You know, sound system wasn't all that, but the vibes were so great. (sighs) Dude, we got to go to New York or... I mean, we all got to go to New York and check this party out when it when it, it relaunches, right? And uh, yeah, New York probably going to relaunch late April, early May. But I in mean, the interim, we're doing like kind of warm weather places. So, so we- like you walk in the first floor, people are having brunch, mm-hmm. sexy people eating eggs, Benedict, all this other shit, <laughs> bottomless mimosas that women yeah. love. You go to second floor, there's kind of like this. It's like the reggae room almost. It reminds me of like a '90s like lounge hip hop lounge club. Right? Kind of? More or less. Yeah. It's like a lot of red lights. It's like just kind of a room, but it's super sexy, low ceiling. Maybe you could fit like uh, 300, 400 people in there. Mm, maybe Not like two, 250. Two, 250? Yeah. Then you go up to the top floor, right? Which is the rooftop, right? Right. And it's just this beautiful outdoor deck. 
with like two bars. I don't know what the fuck. It's huge. And there's like outdoor. There's inside a little bit. There's these like banquettes. And it's one of the few times it's been so fucking cracking that the floors are bouncing on that rooftop. And it's usually when you're going to your soca set, yeah, right? Well, Where you're doing like into like Palance, and all that, Trinidad, yeah. and then the floors is bouncing. People are like fucking going wild. And at a couple of times, I've had to hold uh, uh, Moma's laptop because it was it was gonna fall off the table, and he couldn't even couldn't even type on it because the laptop stand was was rocking back and forth, and it was gonna like crash Damn. yeah during soca set you just got to go internal mode yeah and then he Soka. he wouldn't even like fuck with the turntables or cd he'll be in an internal like dj and it was insane but i only i only saw that party at the dl but i never saw it at the other spot you know what i'm saying uh, the other spots because like ultimately you know we we outgrew the dl yeah you know when we, we went from like 200 people at uh rivington to like you know 800 to 1200 at the dl and then we started doing a thousand plus so la marina output uh watermark bar Mm -hmm. we got a new venue in brooklyn called elsewhere um we've done the brooklyn museum a bunch of times damn how's the brooklyn museum it's amazing the energy's cracking because you know the museum's kind of in charge of all the production, so it's and it's kind of free. Yeah, and it's in Brooklyn on the first Saturday. It's just wild. We actually we were at capacity inside the museum. I don't know how many people we let inside. Maybe two thousand twenty five hundred, but it was an wow, equal amount of people outside. What was that? The one that CNN covered? I think I read something about that on one of the articles from CNN, and they were talking about the Brooklyn Museum and you doing a party there. Yeah, they, they might have covered me. They did a piece on me. Um, about Afrobeats at the yeah. Guggenheim because okay, I DJed okay, at the Guggenheim, okay, okay. right? Um, and they did mention the, the Brooklyn Museum, but this was recent. This was uh, first week of February. We had about you know two thousand plus people inside, two thousand plus people outside. I saw some of the the photos and the video. Yeah. I mean, how does it feel to create something like a movement like that? That's crazy. You know what I mean? I you know I guess w- when I sit back and look at it, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> But because <laughs> you're being humble right now, very no, humble. No, no, you know no, that, talk, right? Talk your shit. No, no, no. no. But what I'm trying to, it's, it's because everything I've done since day one has been the same. That I just, to me, it's just a natural progression, right? You know, when I when I was doing that party in Brooklyn with my first crate mm-hmm. and I had 15 friends come out, it was fun. Then 60 Thompson, I had 100 friends come out, it was fun. The good spot, 200, and it it just keeps on growing organically. You know, we're not doing. There's no PR. There's no celebrity affiliations. Uh, you know, there's no tap dancing on social media. Right. It's just people spread the word. And they're just like, yo, it's a good party, good people. You should you should come through. Yeah. So when, when I'm at the Brooklyn Museum, after, you know, traveling for a couple months, not yeah. having DJed literally for two months, I'm rusty as shit. And I got like 2,500 people looking at me. <laughs> I'm like, I could feel the pressure or I could just play Usher. You don't have to call. And let them sing for three minutes, and then I'll figure out what's gonna happen next. Oh, I'll play Lucy Pearl. Lucy Pearl, it's cool. Now let's do like some newer shit. Let's do some Afro beats, and you know I kind of don't overthink it, but it it it's true that people are now calling me an OG. You know, this girl texted me the other day. She was like, "I love everything you do. You're like an OG." 
exclamation point. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know if that's a compliment. Yeah, I feel old. Yeah, but these young people think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a lot of these young motherfuckers think like 30 is old. Like that's right, that's right, a rap. Right, like right. it's a rap at 30. I'm <laughs> just I'm just telling Darren and um Jamie that shit. It's like these kids think like, oh, 30, I'm old. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. you get young yeah. at 30. Eh? Like, like, I'm 28. Look at you. Like, you feel old, right? I'm like, well, I yeah. feel like now OG is like a badge of honor, more so than your age. It's like it's like a respect thing, yeah. not yeah. more so much your age yeah. thing. It's I don't true. know. I think you got to clarify with these young kids because I don't know if they understand what the fuck exactly means. When somebody's like, oh, we're DJing with the legendary DJ MoMA. And I'm like, wait. I have some DJs that, in my mind, are legendary, yeah. and those guys are old. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the legendary party scene, yeah. they did some shit that, you know. I don't know, it just sounds like a, a good, like I saw on a, on Cricket's uh, Snap, I mean, Insta shit, the the story, and it was packed in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was cracking. L.A. was From amazing. the wall to the wall. So like, how was you able to bring it to L.A.? I know you brought it to different cities as well, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I like to think that, uh, you know, a party that, I was very influenced by when when I started Everyday People was was the do over because I would go to the do over mm-hmm. I think maybe two thousand eight two thousand and nine yeah you spun there too DJed yeah. it a couple yeah. times I was like this is amazing they've captured that energy of the daytime while playing all this good music and they also had certain DJs who weren't just like intellectually you know playing deep shit they were just mm-hmm. playing throw some D's and you know. Kanye, Good Life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really influenced by that party. And I, I like to think of the do-over as the Twitter party. You know, they had a party that came around yeah, right yeah. around Twitter. Twitter. 09. And they owned Twitter. And they just were able to do so much. And I think of us as the Instagram party. You know, we're the mm. party that we started bubbling right when Instagram started becoming, like, everybody yeah. was using it. Mm-hmm. And that just created this thing where the following people were just following us yeah and you know in, in miami in san francisco in la in london in south africa in kenya new orleans you did new essence fest right yeah. on i mean crazy so you did you work with bt work with bt and that's when all of your your corporate fucking your corporate pc shit and diplomatic shit works when you're dealing with these guys and also like leveraging like you said being respectful right in a in like in a in a corporate manner, but still getting what you want. You know what I mean? No, and knowing your worth. Yeah. 100%. And to me, you know, anything corporate that I've had to do in the nightlife has been so much easier than anything corporate I've had to do in corporate <laughs> America. Because that shit is stress, man. Like, you know, dealing with, like, really big budgets and millions of dollars of construction and shit like that. It's You know, somebody's job is on the line every day. Um not so much in the nightlife, you know? No. No, I mean, people's jobs are, you know, are on the line, definitely, but you just have leverage. Yeah. You have a product that they we want do. as opposed to maybe your position before, you know, you were, like, part of a team or part right of on, something, yeah. you know? And if everyone in that team didn't necessarily want to be accountable when something went wrong. So when something went wrong, it wasn't like, let's solve this. It's like, well... Who fucked up? Who fucked and, up? Yeah. Yeah. I, got, I got to catch the 4.30 p.m. train <laughs> back to Ronkonkoma. Yeah. <laughs> and it was out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, I think that's the difference. And then what you're doing right now is that, you know, you you created, like, an amazing product, which is this party. Yeah. And, you know, you have the leverage. And if a venue is just being difficult, you have the power to just be like, well, we don't want to have to work with you. Yeah. It's a wrap. 
Totally. You know? Yeah. Do, do you uh, do you go and like chase like the All Star weekends and stuff like that, and do parties that weekend there? Like the All Star no. weekend. We Super actually Bowl. don't like what what we'll do is if there's like a big weekend like All Star Super Bowl or you know some Essence Festival or. Um, Mardi Gras stuff like that. You know, no. If, if a brand wants us to activate, mm-hmm. then we'll come out for like a branded type of event. But we actually do better in cities when nothing's going on. Okay, right? Yeah, because so, I mean, so what's the point of going to you know I don't know All Star in it in, was just in, in LA, LA in LA when every basketball player is throwing a party, yeah, and every rapper is teaming up with a basketball player to throw a party. You know, not that our, you not that the essence of uh, our party is 100% hip-hop and, like, radio-oriented. But still, you know, when you're looking at the cool people that's doing shit in industry and various cities around All-Star, they're, they're all going to tend to flock uh, towards the same place. And let's be honest, man. When you got a party at any club or any room or wherever the fuck you are, and it's just industry people, like famous people, it's the worst fucking energy ever, man. It, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bunch of motherfuckers looking at each other trying to floss who pops the more bottles who's popping more bottles what's he wearing <laughs> the chicks that he's with you know the chicks yeah. trying to floss like and, they're and with this dude and yeah. all this and shit and the politics you know yeah. sometimes you're like yo I can't play this dude's music because so and so doesn't time, like man. him yeah. and then once you go to those industry parties um, everybody's so handcuffed that they all end up playing the same shit it's all like 90s <laughs> yo you, you go yeah. to like celebrity parties it's these guys are just playing like 90s music and 2000s because it's like inoffensive you know? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Nobody wants to touch the new shit. Like, oh, yeah. can't play Drake. Can so-and-so is here, and you know, Drake talks shit about that guy. You know? I've gone through that shit. It's just fuck that. You've gone, what would you gone through that shit for? <sighs> yeah, what party you did? I uh, did. I did. What, what, what I did Drake this, came to your house party? No, I did this. Uh, <laughs> I did you this. Mean, he invited Drake and Meek showed up all of a no. sudden. A couple of sits packs. <laughs> nah. It was a, uh, I did a, a celebrity kickball party with Chris Brown. Chris Brown was there. Little Wayne was there. Like, a bunch of motherfuckers were there. I couldn't play no Drake because that's when they were beefing. Chris Brown was beefing with him. So I'm like, and Drake had, like, 0 to 100 and all the good shit. That was out. probably... Can you imagine not being able to play Drake at a and hip-hop then, party? And then... That's crazy. Little Wayne's yeah. there. So I'm like, okay, I can play the Little Wayne and Drake record. And then Amber Rose is chilling over there. She has beef with half of rappers. And Kylie Jenner just broke up with Tyga. And I'm like, yo, like... Damn, I yeah, couldn't man. play a lot of shit. And you had to. <laughs> you should so I did. A, I told. I said this before. I did the DJ Khaled said what the Fat Joe said, and because he no one beefed it. There. You had to referee the kickball game too. Nah, I wasn't. There. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody was there, and it was like, fuck. What do I play? You should have did nineties uh, and early. 2000s. No, that's what, I, that's what I did. That's what I ended up doing. But you couldn't play all the hot shit. Yeah, I played loyal like three times, <laughs> so it worked out. But how do you feel about uh, Moma? How do you feel about the Afrobeat sound like blowing up? Like it's becoming—I don't want to say it's becoming mainstream, but it's been a lot of light shed on it. Maybe oh, in the last man, couple I years. I love it. I love it, man. Because I've been playing Afrobeats for so long mm-hmm. um, that you know when, when you're in a place with what you're doing musically, and you feel that everybody else is just moving towards you, and you don't even have to move an inch. Mm-hmm. To, that's yeah. how I feel right now. You know, um, and I'm not. You know, I'm not the best Afrobeats DJ. I'm not the biggest Afrobeats DJ. Because I've been doing it for so long, people automatically think of me as like, yo, you got to go to that guy for Afrobeats. And I think I'm just really lucky. I I get to benefit from that at a time when Afrobeats is becoming really hot. I mean, Mo's been like ahead, like as far as like having a party like this and 
curating like the music for his party like he's been ahead of that for like years yeah. i would say at least the last 10 years or more yeah. so like everyone's been trying to redo the good spot when the good spot was popping people were trying to do that in new york they were trying to have their good spot yeah. right you know what i'm saying and everyday people's popping you see motherfuckers trying to do their everyday people yeah. you know what yeah. i'm saying so he's been doing that and to his credit i don't know I don't know another DJ that has as much, like, of a wide musical variety, like, that he can play. Like, he does, you do, like, a disco house party with uh, Eli Escobar. With Eli Escobar, right. You know? And then he'll do, like, a reggae party. And he'll do, like, you know, he'll do all types of parties. I yeah. mean, occasionally he'll even do, like, a top 40, like, you know, like a Vegas-style party. And then he'll just hit me up, like, hey, you have any of these, like... These like you know like these EDM bam 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 songs that I, I might mean need, that, you know those are like the yeah those are like the the Rockefeller Center yeah uh, you know three thousand person mm -hmm. corporate events or you know weddings when somebody wants to hear a specific sound at a wedding like there's no like nah that's that's not part of what I do creatively you know you just gotta fucking play that shit what do you, what do you when you see a DJ like me and Neva right and we're DJing in Vegas. And you know how big it, it's just weird sometimes, right? We're right. we're like we're not necessarily always DJing for the crowd. We're DJing for like you know the manager. I don't know what the fuck to explain. It's like there's so much it's politics and yeah, political. It's a lot of politics involved. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you look at us? Is it painful? Like, do you think it's like, geez, like I don't know how you guys deal with that shit, or is it, is, like, it a, is it a joke? <laughs> I want to be like, get out, get out. <laughs> get out. It's, um, I mean, because like, yo, Mo tells me all the time, he's like, I don't know how the fuck you live in Vegas and I don't know how the fuck you DJ in Vegas. Like, and you've been there more than 10 years. I, let, let's put it this way. I mean, I've, I have to work so hard for the musical freedom. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have to book the space. I have to book the hosts. I have to book the guest DJs. You know, I have to work with the, with the creative people to make the flyer. So... Yeah, the party is lasting six hours, but on that party, I've probably dedicated 30 to 40 hours mm -hmm. of my life to earn that freedom. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. um, you can be recording podcasts during those 30 and 40 hours. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, then you yeah. just pull up to the club, lock in, mm -hmm. and DJ and leave. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So you, th there's a price for that freedom. You have to craft the whole event. So I'm not mad at you guys. No, I'm not saying you're mad, but do you feel like, fuck, like... Oh, do glad, I think, do I think it's I awful? I yeah, well, yeah. Glad I don't have to do that shit. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'd rather I, put in the 30 hours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and also, I mean, um, it's not like DJ money was what it was in Vegas in 2007. You know? Mm -hmm. At that point, I would have put up with all this shit for those checks. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's not exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I mean, we talk about this a lot just because... You know, I'll tell him the politics of shit all the time, and he'll tell me how to handle the shit. You know what I mean? And you even, we were talking earlier about, you were telling me about your gig in Bushwick, how he was like, um, yeah, explain that shit. He was just like in an elevated DJ booth. Mm -hmm. And he, you were saying like, there's something about an elevated DJ booth, right? Right. So, you know, back in the day, all the booths were like up. You have to go up a, a ship's ladder and get your crates up there and whatnot. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, the booths were more part of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and what came with that was that you felt closer to the crowd. You know, you get more visibility. 
uh, which is a good look for the DJ, but you had to deal with people making requests. You know what I mean? And now I've gotten to a point where I really don't care for the visibility, and I like being far away, up in a booth, it's like sky high, where no one can come and talk to me, and no one can come and make a request. And I end up being so focused for like four or five hours while I'm DJing, and the two times I did it this past year, I had like some of my best sets. And I was like, this can't be a coincidence. And even your friends, you're not even hugging your friends, you're just waving, you know? Yeah. Damn, that's a great point. It's true, though. I haven't DJed at a spot where people didn't have access to me, and yeah. I couldn't tell you how long. Dude, I, I honestly hate being in a DJ booth and having to talk to people yeah, and, like, have a conversation with them and take shots yeah, and then, like, worry about who's in the booth. I don't know that or person. people standing behind you that you don't know. Who's drinking my bottle? Like, yeah. who are these people? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let alone, like, you know, like, random people coming up and trying to take a picture with me or doing dumb shit yo you know what i mean or like people making requests or you know being rude and they can like throw you off it does, if you're yeah. grooving it does, yeah. and you got your mojo and you're having fun you know our skin is only so thick yeah it, it could take somebody being like giving you the middle finger like man you suck like, damn are they doing she's this just putting the, the thumbs yeah, down the thumbs like, down oh. i'm like damn you just ruined my vibe I was doing so good, you know. So, but now you're kind of the manager that has to kind of put certain like guest DJs in check once in a while, right? You'll pull, you'll pull certain DJs, or you know what I mean? Yeah, we'll pull them creatively. We won't pull them like, yo, you're done. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> we'll just be like, hey, listen, the live performer has a flight, so they got to get on a bit earlier, and we're gonna put them on now. You know, I don't, I don't think I have a, a regret with that. You got, you got to, if it's your party and it's your product, you, you got to protect it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If somebody's like in the process of not necessarily ruining it, but making it harder for everybody else who's going to DJ after him or her, you got to be like, ah, yo, that was great. Thank you. Um, we got we got to do something else. True. True. Yeah. Hey, um, moving forward, right? Talking about everyday people. I mean, what are y'all what are y'all looking forward to this year? Like a. Where's the where's the city? Any new cities? Are y'all popping through? Like, What's the next just so one? I can let motherfuckers know, because I think everyone, if it look, if everyday people's gonna be in your city, I think you gotta go check it out, man. You know what I'm saying? So, man, what cities are you gonna be in? Even better, you ever thought about Vegas? Too hot. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't thought about Vegas because, um, I, I you know I know what Vegas is and I know what it <laughs> oh, what it man. can provide, but I don't think it's ever been. Aside for this little pocket that you guys have here, you with the store, some of the new parties that you guys do, I just it's not like a bedrock of culture for me. You know no. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not. And and we need that culture. Mm-hmm. We need that that thread to the diaspora, whether it's in New York or L.A. or Oakland or Miami, even you know Detroit, London. I just don't see that. Well, here. The problem with Vegas is that anything that Vegas does is somewhat of an imitation of something else. Mm-hmm. It's not organically. It was, there's nothing organically created from here. You know, not yet. There might be some things, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. But as a whole, it's not something that the locals are used to. Right. And I think that's the problem because if they don't have it to, if they don't have, if you, if I, we started an everyday people party, they would need a frame of reference to compare that to. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do they know to the do over? They do. They do. Yeah. But they've never been to that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So, it's all their idea of what it is. Right. But you know what I'm saying? So it, w- it would take, like you said, that education 
Uh, like the do-over is a different party musically, but in terms of, you know, good vibes. I mean, I heard it's a little different now, but I don't, you know. Well, they, got then so, it was, they got so big. It's got it's got yeah. to change a little. They they do, you know, 3,000 people. They do crazy numbers. Yeah, it's yeah. worldwide. Yeah, yeah. They're, it's they're, crazy. They're super mega. Um, but for us, for this year, you know, we already did um, my, no, we did L.A. last week. We're mm-hmm. doing Miami next week mm-hmm. for Miami Music Week. Then, um, obviously, we're going to have rotating residencies in, in New York the whole year between May and October. And, you know, we're, we're going to pop up in uh, in Miami and L.A. again. We want to make L.A. semi-regular. Yeah, yeah. Three to four times a year at least. I, I think you should. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I really, I personally, I want to go to Oakland, I think. <laughs> I think Oakland will be. Yeah, I think Oakland is crazy. Oakland will yeah. be dope. I think yeah. Oakland will be dope. The problem is Oakland is a little like, like D.C., you know, it's a place with a lot of culture, but they don't really know how to export their culture well, you know? <laughs> so if you're not from D.C. and you're not from Oakland, you really don't know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to actually make the connections and, and build the party over there. Like, I literally have to go. You See, know, I have to meet people. I have to, like, look at venues. You know, I don't have to do that for Miami or L.A. So know? my instinct, and we had a little a brief conversation about this. If I go to Oakland, I instantly think... I. I gotta get all of this hyphy. I gotta know the hyphy and the Oakland records. Mm. And then you were kind of like, "Nah, I'm just gonna go there and do my thing." That's it. That's it. And he's just like, you know, they either know about us or they don't. But I'm not gonna try to like change what the fuck we are just to fit that city. Right. Like they're gonna get a taste of New York. Like you were talking about the uh, "Let It Rain." Oh, uh, chicken noodle soup. Chicken yeah, noodle yeah, soup, right. and he's like, "Yeah, like usually that's huge in New York. It's a New York record. He did it in L.A. It did it did it did, it did good. pretty good because yeah. there was enough New Yorkers in the room to yeah. make it rain, you know." But he's saying like, <laughs> you know, but he's just kind of saying like, "Yo, like we're a New York party. We're gonna play some New York shit." And it's like, right. you know, open your open your minds, open your ears, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, being a Vegas dude, it's like we're just always trying to please the crowd. Yeah, and we kind of forget about our own like taste in music. Sometimes I know I do, to the point where, yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes afraid to fucking like put myself in a set. Right. You know what I mean? Because I'm so worried about you know burning bridges or like making pissing off the management or whatever the fuck. You know but, what I mean? But you know, if you were to like really air out and play what you was into, yeah. Let's say to I, I don't know. Let's say you play into a thousand person room, right? Uh huh. If you have two hundred people. Who fuck with you? Oh, like I feel this dude. The reaction of those two hundred people is gonna carry the whole room. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do when we go out of town. I know I might play some Afrobeat that people haven't heard. That definitely a lot of soca that people haven't heard. Yeah. Uh, but I, I also know that like twenty five to thirty percent of this room is gonna wild out, and when they do, other people are gonna shazam and they're gonna dance along, and you know it's it's gonna work out. Because you do need that cheering section, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think in Vegas, um, you, you might not have that. No, we don't have Everybody's it. just, like, landing at McCarran, fucking party bus. I mean, you guys pulling I, up. You guys answer. I mean, D, never, Jamie, kind of. You know what All I'm right. saying? Like, let me, like, you don't know, like, a lot of your set throughout the night in Vegas is not for you at all. Yeah, it's very rare. Nah. Maybe at the end nah. of the night where I know it's like, okay. I'm about to say that. Like, 15 minutes before I'm about to get off. I mean, what? Yeah. What? I mean, honestly, like, I think that's really fucked up for a DJ. You know what I mean? 
I think I have my most freedom when I open and close for a DJ. So when mm-hmm. I open, it's one thing. And then when the headliner goes off, that's like my free reign right. at that yeah, point. Right. So I'm like, okay, the headliner just got off. I can't go wrong right now. So I whatever do. I do, it's free reign for me to just like put my stamp on something. And that's when I try out maybe some new music that I like or like some different genres that I like. You know, yeah. Vegas yeah. wasn't always like that. Remember, where, where did we used to hear Riz play? The club that was all white. Pure. Pure. Yeah. He was just in there just slamming classic hip hop. For two hours straight, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and it worked. It changed when AM passed. I would yeah. say that it, it, when AM passed and EDM grew, it yeah. changed when e- AM passed, and there was also a, like we always talk about this man. It's the dudes who are on top. If the dudes are on top of yes men, we all got we got to be yes men, right? Because no matter what, if like honestly, if there's if the dudes on top. If they're playing ball, if they're doing all of this shit, they don't complain. They do whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? And then I complain. They're like, well, why the fuck are you complaining? Right. The dudes, we're paying more. Ain't saying shit. Yeah, like they'd be like, play your position. You know? Play your position. Mm-hmm. Like, shut the fuck up. You're lucky you got a job. Do your f- And then, you know, yep. do whatever you got to do. Because, yo, I think, I think literally if every DJ started playing better music in Vegas, mm-hmm. overnight the whole vibe could change. Because at the end of the day, yo, the people out there, they're just people. They're just people. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they're not a bunch of robots. They will move and groove to something different if everybody starts doing it. And they're not leaving the club. Yeah. They're not leaving the club. It's just forever to get in. <laughs> yeah. They pay, like, what, $40, $50 to get in? 30 to 40 I miss those days when it, we weren't, like, limited into the genres of music that we were playing. Where we had a little yeah. bit more freedom. It wasn't like, we're a hip-hop club. We're this or we're that. Like, don't put any fucking labels on it. You yeah. know I'm going to play the new shit. But I, I'm going to sprinkle in some of this other shit. And I, like, allow a motherfucker to take some chances. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. one of my favorite DJ nights ever was your Monday at Jet. No one fucked with me at Jet on Mondays. Your Monday at Jet was incredible. Bring you know, that back. Bring that back. No, but it was a different era. And also, I was a new breed, kind of, because I was straight from New York. Right. So... We were bringing what in New York. We were playing that David Guetta shit. We were playing a little house because at that time, clubs didn't want to uh, pay a house DJ and a hip hop DJ. There used to be two DJs. They'd be like the house DJ at the club who would play from like twelve to one, and then the hip hop dude would come on and do one to two, and then the house dude would do like two thirty, two to two thirty, and then I would finish the night. And then all Serato. of a sudden, Serato happened, and they're like, "Oh shit." We don't have to pay this dude five hundred and this dude five hundred. We could just pay you two seven fifty. And the club owners would tell you the songs. Yeah, the club owners would be like, "You're playing an hour house set. Here's the, the top songs that are popping right now with like Sarafina." This was like right after I left New York. Yeah. yeah, this shit was happening. So then when I came to Vegas in two thousand five, they're like, "Yo, what the fuck is this kid playing? Or what is this dude playing? You know?" And he's mixing this shit because y'all were playing heavy rock and hip hop. Yeah, it was just rock and hip hop, and unfortunately mashups, mashups. Mash-ups. Yeah, <laughs> so when I was there, which is big at the time. Yeah, so when I was there, I was playing like you know Paul John, dun, 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 and I was playing like some of the some of that great Whoa. fucking everybody dance now. What is that, David? Gwen? No, David, no, no, Bob no, Sinclair. Bob Sinclair. Bob Sinclair. Yeah. Sinclair. Oh man, Bob Sinclair changed the game. Honestly, World Hold On is a great record. Even Love Generation was a yeah, fucking Love Generation. Love Generation changed the game. Love Generation crazy. Who said, who had that? I can't wait for the weekend to begin. Oh, I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I, I can't think of the artist. That was the jam. Yeah. 
that was a dope era because it was like this disco this tra- like this jamaican like a reggae-ish you know it was like yeah. it was the french it was the french guys yeah. that heavily influenced it and they liked that like french people if you go to french parties they, they're just kind of like corny in a good way they like to dance they like to boogie yo we got to give like if anyone brought edm into the clubs into open format or mashup rooms if you want to say it was bob sinclair yeah that was the only quote-unquote house record you had to play in that night yeah, love world generation was love like, generation love generation world hold on too maybe yeah and then when he came out with every what it, what, what the fuck was that um, yeah, he, re- he read yeah. the cnc music factory the cnc music factory with a uh, fat re- man scoop right yes. yeah 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 dude those three records those changed the game and it, it opened the door for edm to be mixed with hip-hop and i don't it, and that's around the time when sexy back and all of that fucking uh timberland like semi house records started yeah. creeping to the 120 right. yeah. started getting like 110 bpm shit with way the Nelly Furtado like joints. Way IR yeah, and yeah. all those joints. 06, 06. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for that Bob Sinclair and that shit, that yeah. changed the whole that changed the whole thing in like 2005, 2004, 2005, 2006. Yeah. Yeah. But, Damn. I mean, but what the fuck were we talking about? <laughs> well, Mo was freedom. telling us about <laughs> no, oh, so everyday people, uh, what cities he's going to do the party in. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Miami and L.A. <laughs> Miami and L.A. And, and, and New York, obviously, the most. Um, I'm... I want I want to try to figure out Oakland, and I'm working on a project for the end of the year in Brazil. I'm trying to pull that off. Jeez. Yo, you spent yeah, I mean, two man, months oh. in Brazil, bro. Yeah, I spent two How months. Was that? Unbelievable! It changed my life. Wow, that's crazy. Unbelievable. I heard that before from Brazil. I don't know why. Yeah, I was in uh, in Bahia, which is one of the states uh, of Brazil, and the capital, Salvador. Yeah. Uh, it that place is amazing. It's like, I call it like the global capital of black consciousness it's this black african culture that's lasted and survived through the years it's not the same in the rest of brazil you know what i mean it's just in that little enclave um and in the state actually what's it called salvador in bahia so was you working you just vacationing uh, hanging out i was vacationing I, i had a friend down there who was like mo you should come see this place i think you would love it and i think you'd want to do everyday people here Mm. And I went. I went really just to like vacation. Mm-hmm. I went first week of January, and I was like, I got to be back uh, in Brooklyn by like you know February first. C- come February first, I went back to Brooklyn because it was the Brooklyn Museum. Mm-hmm. I went right back to Brazil. Brazil. Oh, shit, <laughs> that's crazy. And I fin- and I spent the rest of February there, and I just started you know planting some seeds. Um, met a lot of a lot of influential people over there. A lot of talented artist i'm working on some remixes for some people i've met um met some top top media people uh some people in the fashion industry and it's like it's an amazing market man i think there's like a hundred million black people in that country you know yo i I saw your ig stories you look like you was having a great time out there bro i was i was having the time of my life man i was telling crooked yo Listen, I can't, t- I can't, man. I can't talk too much about what I'm working on. But if I can pull it off, you yeah, was, we're all going. You, you was like dancing, so, like I was like, damn, what's up with more? hundred million? That's a hundred million black people over there. I mean, I think the population of the country is close to two hundred million. It's damn. massive. It's a massive country. Damn, so you look, he found Wakanda in Brazil. Is what you're saying? I kind of found Wakanda <laughs> in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> you would have thought it was in Africa, but I found it in Brazil. Yeah, that's damn. crazy. And what was? I only saw a Black Panther out there. Yeah, so, so dope. So we got uh, the, because 
again, I said that place is like the capital of black consciousness, in my opinion. So Black Panther was a really big deal for them. Mm -hmm. And one of our friends organized like the official premiere. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be there and I went and it was like a sea of Afros in the stand in, in, in the movie That's theater crazy, i've never seen so many afros in my life and i've been all over the world do you know what i mean <laughs> including brooklyn and definitely not africa there aren't any afros in africa no i went to africa with my fro every country i went people were like why why are you doing this why do you want to look homeless you know <laughs> you're, from, you're from america you should cut right. the shit off you know um it's kind of fucked up because you see how far the brainwashing of what's how you know what's Straight a typical people. haircut for a black person should be mm. right do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i think it's fucked up when the people themselves are brain are some semi brainwashed yeah. oh yeah you know what i mean even like with the straightening of hair and all of that shit and that's one of the dope things in black panther right was actually to me i thought it was the natural hair. yeah natural whether it was like a fro or you know or braids or twists or uh baldy yeah baldy. they were just pushing you know a natural look and they kind of they took a little jab at the weave or the wig remember that yeah like, why, why should i wear this yeah. um nah, i didn't think they necessarily had to do that you know uh -huh. oh in the bar when no, the gambling scene yeah and yeah. what was that experience like watching it over there well it was great because i was learning portuguese while i was there and the movie was subtitled in portuguese you know okay. but it was in english it was in english Portuguese Subtitle in, in Portuguese, and so I was having a blast trying to keep up with the with the translation, but some things didn't translate. They couldn't, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, they didn't laugh because they didn't translate it right. So you were the only motherfucker laughing. You were like so two when, other motherfuckers. So when he said hi, auntie, you were like ha ha. And everyone's like, he just said hi to his aunt. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was a few of those moments, and, and, and you know, in, in all fairness, maybe like there were probably half half the room was English speaking, you know? Mm. But a good half did not speak any English. It was a small, small crowd, 40 people or so. But That's it was, cool. it felt really dope to be in Bahia, to be at the premiere with all these, you know, conscious black people or Pan-African style people. It just felt like a moment. That's dope, you know man. I mean? Have you, I mean, have you been anywhere in South America, Jamie? Mexico's the furthest because I'm Mexican. Mexico. That's mm. And that's technically... North America. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Fuck, man. I want to go, man. Definitely. Yeah, I've never yeah. been. I would love. When you get crazy. this shit set up, definitely <laughs> let me know. Let us know and we'll let, be out there. Sure. Let me know. <laughs> no, I said let us know and we'll be out there. Yeah. Is I'm, that I'm hoping to be able to give people 3 to 4 months advance notice. Cuz it's it's a trip, you know, it's far. Yeah. Yeah. Is it uh is that the first international everyday people you're going to do? No, we did um Zanzibar or something? So we did Barbados two years ago. Was, shit, was, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it was random. Um, somebody from the Barbados Tourism Board hit me up. And they were like, yo, we'd love to have you guys uh, organize like a little getaway, do a party, yada, yada, yada. So we did a trip for about 50 or 60 people. And we threw a party there. It was cool. Uh, and then I did New Year's in Zanzibar. Mm -hmm. We kind of did the same thing. But we, we bootstrapped that. There was no no money from the Zanzibar tourism mm -hmm. board. We just kind of like sold packages. And it was fun. It was kind of like, oh, we can do this. And we see where the margins are with travel and with yeah. hotels and all of that. What did you just like work with a travel agency or something? We worked with a travel agent to come up with a cultural package once people get there. Uh -huh. But I used my connects to kind of like book out a hotel. Oh, okay. 
Have we're just like, yo, we're going to book out all 40 rooms. Crazy. And we're going to sell them at whatever rate we want so uh-huh. we can finance the trip. Have you done Toronto? Toronto, we've been meaning to do Toronto. Toronto and London are huge on the list. Yeah. But they have, they kind of don't have good venues, you know. It's like all you need is a venue and we'll be in Toronto tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they, yeah, they have a shortage of venues. London, I mean, I was in London with you briefly, Mo, and it was like, it was weird to find a spot to chill at. Yeah. yeah. And hear music and just have like a drink. And then well, you I hear mean, some music, you, know? you, you could on a, on a smaller scale. They have a lot of really cool small clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of really cool bars, and you know, but it's but pubish. It, it's pubish. They, they have some some cool spots, but it's a lot of pubs. I'm not gonna deny it's, that. Uh, but the, it's very pubish. But I just yeah. know that a, a lot of my friends uh, from London are gonna be listening to this, so I'm, I'm gonna stand up for them. They have no, I love a bunch London, of cool yeah. parties. Uh, in in terms of large scale parties, like my friends who do. Um, a party called Living Proof, which is like one of the best hip hop parties out there, if not the best. I didn't get a chance to peep that, but you were talk. Yeah. I think you were talking with the the main dude who had the party, right? Right, Khalil or yeah. um, my other homie. Um, oh Jesus, I'm I'm, I'm drawing well, a blank. Well, that one venue you did, that was a downstairs like tiki bar lounge. I think I was I that in remember. London. It was in London, and it was remember. like we would and motherfuckers would just dance. It became like a sweat box. Oh yeah, that that was my man's venue in uh, in Notting Hill. It's called Trailer Happiness. Dude, it was it was like, it was just insane. It was like a like a house party, like one of Jamie's house parties, like you talk about. <laughs> yeah, we should bring the house parties back. <laughs> yeah. And it was like it was just it was everyone was sweating and they were just dancing. Yeah, London is great for the intimate vibes, and it was crazy. And he was just playing like Sunshine Anderson, Damn. like crazy shit like That's that. One. Yeah, it's, it was it was amazing. Have any uh, new, like, upcoming parties, like, I'm, I'll say independent parties kind of scenes like yours, have reached out to do a collaboration or, like, shit like that? I think we tend to take the lead with that. Okay. Yeah. When Whenever we, we find, like, new crews who have a good vibe, something that kind of, like, syncs well with what we do, we tend to reach out to them. You know, we're more like, we're like the big brother now in the... Uh. Um, in, in New York City, you know? And even when we go other places, sometimes we'll find, like, nascent parties that are, have a similar vibe to what we do. Maybe they're not 1,000-person parties yet. They might be, like, two to 300. And we're like, yo, we'd love to collaborate with y'all and, um, you know, have you co-host this whole thing. So we've, we've been doing a good job of that. But that's just that's something that I've always wanted to do from day one, mm-hmm. you know? I was like, I'm all about spreading the love, spreading the money, It'll go so much further for your brand than uh, a lot of these people who are really like, I don't know, like really protective. Uh, a lot of the parties that we came up attending and DJing, they only book like OGs and shit. Yeah. You know, so their crowd keeps getting older. Yeah. And that's not that's not smart, you know. So mm-hmm. we, we're constantly looking to the youth. Um, and there's, there's a bunch of people doing some cool shit. Definitely in New York. Definitely in Miami. Yeah. Probably Probably the dopest party dj city in america right. Miami. yeah i mean shout to desert too desert got a dope party and then you also you teamed up with desert right uh i have i have not teamed up with desert not I, yet no but i mean uh i work with his crew uh prez okay Rodriguez, yeah, yeah. and uh, raul mm-hmm. obviously we work with them quite a bit um but you even like you had sean g spinning at your party in la 
Yeah. And he has a, like a similar kind of Sean like G has reggae ice party. cream sundays and he has Shaba. He's just a dope ass DJ with like really cool he parties. He killed that shit. I mean, he had his mixes were insane. Like yeah. we're, we're yeah. not trying to go in your town and Take not over. book anyone from your town. Yeah. You know, and just let our nuts hang and be like, you know, enjoy. <laughs> Everywhere we go, we have to partner with a local entity cuz I think one it shows respect mm-hmm. and then two you need that guidance, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they, they could tell you, yo, that venue's played out, yo. Mm-hmm. Or like, yo, you don't want to book this artist, even though he's from here. We've all seen him a million times and nobody gives a shit about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you need all these little nuggets. And then you foster relationships and I think you, you spread goodwill and you get it back from people. That's good. It's crazy. crazy. Well, I'm looking forward to Brazil. Yeah, we, we, we all are. We all are. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you call it? Uh, we got to... Run through these topics. I know there's a lot of shit to run through. You know what? Um, before we do that, yeah. can I ask one more one thing? Yeah. You competed in the Red Bull three style yeah, a, yeah. a couple of years back. Well, let's just get into that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In you two, did 2010. And you, you did a and you regional won. competition. Yeah. Regional, regional in New York. York. Yeah, he oh, did the New York. You got to tell the story. Well, the story was that um, <laughs> it was the original, I guess, regional New York three, uh, Red Bull three style in 2010. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was brand new. Nobody knew what the fuck it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, DJ Eleven, who was a part of the rub at the time. Another amazing party. Amazing mm-hmm. party. Him and uh, his partners at the rub, Ayers and, and Cosmo, were in charge of curating the lineup for this East Coast NYC regional. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they reached out to a bunch of people that they knew and respected. And Eleven really wanted me to do it. Eleven was like... You have to do this. I was like, why? I'm not a battle DJ. I don't want to battle anyone. He was like, it's not a battle. Just take your your top 45-minute banger power set and condense it in 15 minutes. I was like, what? Are you serious? Yeah, it's just all about party rocking as long as you play three different genres. I said, all right, I'll do it. You know, I pulled up. I didn't even practice. I didn't even open my laptop. <laughs> Shots fired to the motherfuckers in practice you know? for two weeks and he killed off. But and and that's the thing, and I think I'm, I might have been a reason why they changed uh, the rules of the whole thing, um, because <laughs> everybody everybody had like gimmicks, um, really creative, you know, routines, scratching loops, all types of stuff, pointing at the competitor, you know, doing all that nonsense. <laughs> and uh, he just went up there and did. The and I just went up and I'm like, this is my crowd in Brooklyn. I literally know half the room. And, you know, I just went in. I got to play three genres. You're going to hear Shaba Ranks. You're going to hear Biggie. Um, you're going to hear Mary J. Blige. Major Lazer was big at the time. You know, you're going to hear Major. You're going to hear some Soka. That's, that's, four, that's four categories right there. Yeah, and I, I, I played whatever. I just played my regular set for 15 minutes, and I was just slamming hits. You know, like two-bar blends or just slamming it on the one. But because I knew exactly how to play to that crowd, everything was just kept crescendo higher and higher and higher and i the last song i played was soca where everybody's jumping and towels in the air blah 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 were you like spinning some shit i just it was my last song i went to the front of the stage and i started waving a towel <laughs> like a pd pablo show yeah more or less and then everybody was just like that was your version of pointing at the competitor <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> like, this is my crowd this is my showboat right here just fucking spin the towel and amp the crowd but anyway you know i was done and i was like that was fun. It was definitely easy because I didn't really put in much work into it. Uh, it just all came natural. Uh, and then I ended up winning. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure the competitors was pissed because they've probably been practicing. They were hating for weeks. They were, they were hating. hating. They were, they were hating, and and they were like close. Some of them were close friends of mine. Not close, like yeah, close enough friends. And they were hating, and they were also hating like openly to my face. It wasn't like they were just talking shit. They were like, "Oh, that's not fair. You just went up there. You were just slamming joints." And I had these crazy routines, blah blah blah. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It yeah. wasn't effective. It wasn't. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't making people dance and have a good time. You didn't even scratch. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the point. But also, like, it was a home game for me. It was unfair and a home court advantage. You, no, but I that's knew bullshit. Exactly. No, on, I knew man. exactly what but the crowd wanted. But that was not wanted. your fault. That's the problem that, that I have with the three style is that. All of this technical shit is great. I think it's great to have that in a, in your arsenal. But in the end, you got to just know how to read a crowd and play the right songs. But I think that was initially the intent of the three style. But then they changed it to make it more no, something that's heading towards a DMC. But they don't want that. Technical. They don't want that. They actually don't want that. We had Four Color Zach here. And they said that's not what we were about. That's not what the but three what, style is about. But that's what they're rewarding. No, I don't know. I think they're trying to change it. They're trying to go into the party rocking. And that's, they're trying to, you know, that's how that's how I won that first one. You know what I mean? Well, I thought you won because uh, Sujit was one of the judges from Sujit oh, from Scam Artists. I didn't know that. Yeah, Sujit Vashti was a judge. Somebody else. Oh, wait, wait. wait. Sujit who's, who's the guy me. who manages Sujit the chain smokers? Sujit texted me. Was like, "Yo, is Momo your boy?" And he's like, "And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's my boy." He's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna judge him in this three style." And I'm like, "Yo, he gotta win." He's like, "Well, we'll see." And then he and then he texted me. He's like. Yeah, I'm voting for your boy. I'm like, dope. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but he had the best set. He killed his shit. He was the best. And he, he was with the judges. He was with the judges. And I think one of the judges was like, how are you going to vote for him? And he's like, dude, did you see the crowd? He's yeah. like, done deal. He won. Yeah. And I think the other guy was like, but he didn't do any, any technical shit. He's like, who fucking cares? Right. And Suji just, you know, did it. But he was, I think he told me first before, you know, before the he news got out. He submitted the yeah. poll. <laughs> yeah. So that, was, that was funny. That was interesting. And then I went to the finals um, in Denver. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't really recall, man. I was. Yeah. How was that? It was. It was weird, because, <laughs> you know, I did the same thing. I didn't really. I didn't really practice. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to play like a fun set to keep the party rocking, and I think it was, it was a great set. You know, everybody was dancing. Like whereas with everyone else. The crowd was facing the DJ and standing. It was more spectator. I just, it was I got on and I broke it up. Everybody just started dancing. It looked like a dance party for 15 minutes. Right. You know? Uh, I think Questlove was judging. Jazzy Jeff was judging. And they, they were probably looking for more technical shit. But Questlove isn't a technical yeah, DJ. Uh, no, techni Quest is very technical. Is he? Very technical. Like, his cuts are so precise. He's a fucking drummer, bro. Like, mm. his hand-eye coordination is, like, insane. But what I like about the way he DJs is that he won't be overly technical. He may be doing a ton of shit, but to the listener, it's, it's kind of smooth. Mm. You know what I mean? I always thought it was crazy that he has his both, both of his turntables on the Both of the turntables on the, the left-hand side. Yeah, and the mixture on the right. Yeah, because I guess he's left-handed or something. Yeah. Yeah. Premier does that, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. I saw him when he was out here, and I was like, what is that? Like, what is he doing? Like that was, it just looked confusing, but it was cool. So Denver was it was just kind of like eh. yeah. I didn't. I mean, I didn't <laughs> place or anything. Did you know who won that competition? Uh, let me see. I know my homie Morse Code was there. He didn't, Morse didn't win. He played a great set. Um, this would have been the first you know, U.S. winner. I can't recall who it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh wait, I'm trying to think if I remember. 
I don't know. Also, that was like right around the time where like dubstep was kind of becoming a thing, and everybody was playing dubstep. Yeah, yeah. In their set, I was like, I just need to get out of here. Yeah, I would have gotten out of there too. Fucking dubstep. Zach won in twelve, right? Huh? Four color Zach was twelve, two thousand twelve. That's what he said. Right. So, so you, you were two you years were two, before him. I'm, yeah, I was twenty ten. Yeah. We're, we're we're the inaugural run, man. Nobody knew what the hell was going. on. You were on. the first run. Of, of three style, I think. Oh wow! I don't think there was yeah. a two thousand and nine. Yeah, there was no such thing. As I think D. I think you should do it. I wouldn't mind. I think you should do it if yeah. it's going to be in L. A. or anywhere. I think you should go and. I try remember it when out. it was here? I thought about it, but I like. Your cuts are tight. Like, yeah, maybe just work late. on work on a set. Yeah. And just party rock that shit. You're good on the mic, pause, and you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, so, and, and so another thing that I don't do is all the what are called the word blends or like. The word play. Oh, the word play. Word play. Yeah. I, don't, I don't do that shit. And that's huge, you know, in three style. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, I, think you're, I think you're making it to what they don't want to be. I think they don't want to be a DMC. I think they want to be it to be a more party rocking and open, you know what I mean? I guess. I mean. I think that's what matters more, more to me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. I think... All of the the scratching and shit. I think that has to be done to enhance the energy of the song or whatever you're doing. Right. But it shouldn't take away from the energy. It shouldn't become. Yeah, I think that they probably need know? to like really refine and define their mission. You know? Yeah. Like I like what A Track is doing. A Track did some sort of contest where it was the mixing. It was mixing like skills and production and getting real nerdy. Like in, in in the weeds with the with the technology, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and that's exactly what they wanted to do with with that thing. What's what's it called? Uh, the the Goldie Awards. The Goldie Awards. Yeah, so it's DJs over there just showing off on Tech Nines and playing with the pitch and loops and scratch and. Yeah, Miles Medina won that one this year. The yeah. last year that just happened. He's he's a fucking good DJ. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Let's get to these um these topics real quick. Rest in peace, Craig Mack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, uh, Steve Hawkins. <laughs> yeah. And then who did you say passed away never? Uh, Matt Dyke. From Delicious Vinyl? Co-founder of Delicious Vinyl. Yeah. Wow. It's fucking crazy. Damn. Yeah. You said he uh, he made a ton of money. He made a ton of money. He, <laughs> well, what's some of the record? Delicious Vinyl was like a fucking, like a, a huge It was based out of label. LA. Yeah. They had mm-hmm. like Tone Loke, Wild Thing. Farside. Farside. Yeah. Young MC. Um, Mellow Man Ace. <laughs> Mentirosa. Mentirosa. <laughs> yeah. But it was huge like in the early nineties. Uh Matt he actually also co produced um, Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique. Mm, which wow. is a classic. Word. LP. So yeah, he like um Did they say how he died? They didn't say no. But he um in ninety I'm gonna say ninety four, he he got out the business, he sold his shares of Delicious Vinyl, he bought a mansion and just disappeared. Wow. Uh, Damn. It's pretty good. Yeah. Those shares must have been worth a lot. I yeah. know, definitely shit man. ton, man. Yeah. You think that shit was drug related? Like you just wanted, or you just wanted to get out? I don't know. Maybe you just wanted to get out. You did like a Dave Chappelle, kind of, yeah. yeah. Except he didn't come back. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. That's exactly. crazy. I mean, he probably made stupid money though. He like, did. He had to, man. Off them records. Yeah. Because yeah. like yeah. that was like the one of the first platinum singles, like Tone Loke Wild thing. Yeah. So it's crazy, man. I had a question regarding uh, Craig Mag guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw a lot of DJs post up, RP Craig Mag, and most of the times DJs when they play um, Flavor Year, they play the Biggie ver- the Biggie remix. 
Indeed. Well, the remix. Yeah. Yeah. They never really p- play the Craig Mack verse. Yeah. So my thing was like, is it safe to say that? Like, I play usually the remix. I don't play the regular. Do you guys play the regular or you guys play the remix? Well, I will say this. When Craig Mack came out with Flavor in Your Ear, being that I was in New York and I was in high school, mm-hmm. it was a big fucking record. Massive. And then the remix was, you never saw a remix. I think it was that, bigger. I think that Craig Mack Flavor in Your Ear remix was the first remix that that had ex- that type of expanded lineup. It was like an all star lineup. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you re- recall, after that they started doing more of that shit, like banned from USA, banned from TV. Mm-hmm, Remember, mm-hmm. like and then there was like all of these. Every song posse had cuts. like posse but, cuts. Wait, you don't think Quest did that with Scenario? No, but Scenario already had six people on it. Yeah. Scenario was, and good. then on the remix they just had another six people on it. But yeah, this was yeah. like a first because remember then yeah. they did like the G Dep remix for special it's delivery and they had yeah, like yeah. Uh-huh. they're like oh let's bring back like Ghostface like we brought LL Cool J. Craig you remember? Mack also had and a verse on that. I was saying that great. that um, Flavor Your Ear remix it brought back LL Cool J. Yeah, because he kind of yeah. fell off after the album with um, Pink Cookies in a plastic jar. <laughs> like the shots back. shots yeah. to the dome or something. Shots to the dome. Yeah. After that, they thought LL Cool J career was over with. Then he got on this remix, and then the next year he came out with um, Fatty Girl. No, no, no. Hey, no. Lover. Hey, Lover. Hey, Lover. Oh. And, like, and he's doing it. Yeah. And um, Was that Mr. Who Smith? Love? It was called Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith album. Yeah. And yeah. that he was huge. And that kind oh, of yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And then I think he had the beef with Cannabis that also like took him to another level. That's yeah. true. Because that was after. That, that was after. That was like the, oh, man, the one, two, three, four. Yeah. Oh, oh, four, three, 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 with Method four, three, two, one. Yeah, four, three, two, one. Yeah. With but Phenomena. Nev was saying, too, like, we were saying about the club, like how crazy that record was. Let's say when Flaming It first came out, I think I was even at the tunnel or Palladium, chilling at the bar, getting drinks. Then when this song came on, there was like girls around the bar. They like dropped their drinks at the bar and ran to the dance floor <laughs> to dance to the song. He said that it was. Uh, he said that it was like the in the club version it's of the, of like the around ninety four. She was huge, man. Huge. Yeah, it was, and you could play that song like f- well five nights th- throughout the night. And five it was times. it five was times throughout the night. It was everywhere. But was it like that in L.A.? Yes. Well, really? I was I was I was five, so I don't know. I was I think eleven. <laughs> I was eleven or twelve when it came out. Yeah. But just on the visual side, like it was always on BT. It was always on the box. Like every five ten minutes, that video would pop up on the box. Yeah. It was crazy on the radio. It was everywhere. It was huge, man. And even as a DJ, honestly, I always played the original. I just love Craig Mack. I, I would always play that, and I would always play Get Down. Like if I would do like even right. like the spots we do now, mm-hmm. like ninety spots, I would always hit them too. Got to be one of. The biggest opening liners, but one of the wackest lyrics, right? When, Just yeah, like Uniblad. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's the worst first line, but it everyone was, sang it, right? The way yeah. he said it, though. Just like Uniblad. Everybody kick, kick a lab. lab. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to be the worst opening line for a big song, but no one gave a fuck. <laughs> I always, always thought that was the worst and, fucking line. And that that was deep, from the man. Jetsons, right? Uniblab. It could be, yeah. That was a Jetsons yeah. reference, reference <laughs> to like a robot on the Jetsons. <laughs> that was good. It was just the beat. And, and that beat was so nasty. That was Easy Mo B, right? Easy yeah. Mo B. Mm-hmm. And it was beginning the first single off of Bad Boy. Yeah, it was the yeah. first song ever. And then it was Juicy. Yeah. yeah. See, this is the thing. Juicy became a big record, mm-hmm. but the B-side, unbelievable. That was, to me, bigger. At it, the was, time. it was big in the streets. Like Juicy was like more commercial. 
Like yeah. you heard that on the radio. Was that more unbelievable? Was like more you heard that heard in the streets and the mixtape. So, so I'm, I was in high school, so obviously I'm not gonna really give a fuck about Juicy because I'm not in the clubs like trying to fucking dance up with a chick. Exactly. Yeah. You know, right I'm now. in high school and I'm like, yo, unbelievable. Same. That shit. You know, yep. I could walk in the sub. I'd be in the subway like head nod. I it was about saying, head yeah. nodding back yeah. then. Remember? Exactly. Yeah. Making that head nod shit. Mm-hmm. And then yo, unbelievable was the shit. And then Juicy was just like, yo, what is this shit? Yeah. Juicy was big in L. A. It was. It just had that groove. That's you know what I mean. Yeah. That, that West the, Coast the old, had the old school sound. So it it, it catered to everyone. I bet you Juicy also got all the Midwest motherfuckers right. All the motherfuckers in the Midwest, the West Coast. That's and crazy. I don't. Yeah. Re- was it big in New York? It was yeah. huge. Yeah, it was huge. It catered to everyone. It catered it to the huge. older crowd, the younger crowd, because of the sample M two made. Everybody knew that shit. Yeah, I don't remember huge. it being as big. Pause. It was big. It was big. Pause. It was big. <laughs> Fine, bro. Uh, I, right now that we're talking about hip hop, I wanted to know uh, if there's somebody you're, you're hanging out with and um, never heard hip hop or doesn't know what hip hop is. What is the one record that you guys will play to make them understand? Wait, wait, wait! wait. Before we get into that, that's a big question. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I also wanted to bring up about Craig Mack. Okay. Okay. Remember, there was a point where Craig Mack, what we thought we like, felt sorry for him and he was washed up. Mm-hmm. So like, his second single was "Get Down," right? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, the Q-Tip remix was big. It was dope. Yeah, remember that Fire. shit. Was, that was that was Fire. that was tough. Yeah, it was. And then all of a sudden, he just disappeared. And then the next time we saw him was the the show movie, and he looked broke like a motherfucker. Remember? But that's he when was, it first started, though, man. What year was that? The the movie, the show. Remember that, that was movie? 95. 95. Was the show yeah. like ninety five, ninety six? But yo, he looked. But it just the movie came out after all of that shit. It came yeah. out in like '96, right? And but then, they probably filmed it in '95. Well, a year later after yeah, yeah. F- living year. But he but looked broke. He was in his mom's kitchen or something I and gotta wearing see that boxes. Again, you don't remember that? <laughs> I gotta see that again. No, I, I don't, don't remember, remember that. Part. I gotta he see it looked, again. And too. he was eating like some cereal or like some like I don't know some like it, it just looked real sad. And I remember we were like, man, this dude's washed. Because you know when you're a kid, you don't really. We thought like he lost all his money or did he play them or some shit. Right. Mm-hmm. But I remember that being the last image of Craig Mack. Damn, man. And then no one kind of had respect for him after that shit. And then he came back after that like, special delivery remix, right? Yeah. That verse was now, he came back with something else before that, but it didn't blow up. It didn't pop off. Was it, was it on Bad Boy? It wasn't on Bad Boy. It was like on his label. He tried to come out independent. Dude, I'm telling you, that, that, that scene in the show was, was rough. I gotta see that. And again, then he was man. talking about getting played by record labels and shit. I think they were interviewing him. Mm-hmm. Damn, that was only one record label at the time. Yeah, yeah. He was no, he was on. He was on Sleeping Bag before he was oh, on Bad Boy. Was, was it MC Easy? Or Easy, whatever? yeah. Mm-hmm. He was MC Easy. Yep. That's crazy. Because he was down with EPMD before yeah, he got on Bad Boy. Before Premier had posted that he would like uh, set up EPMD and like all them like like their like DJ he, sets and he like, was their road manager. Yeah. And like him and Redman would battle people, whatever city they're in, like in the hotels. Like him and Redman would battle the whole city, like the, every night wherever they would go. Craig Mack and Redman would be battling. That's crazy. I was like, damn, that's. And they they couldn't afford a tour bus, so they would, they rented an MPV and they would just drive behind a tour bus, in the MPV. MPV wow. was the shit back. The then. minivan, yeah. I don't that's know crazy. why we love that fucking. <laughs> it was compact. It was a compact. It was a compact minivan. I was know? trying I was having a conversation with somebody. I totally forgot why the MPV was so big. Was it cuz like, of Wu-Tang? It was a heist car, man. I think it was. It was, heist, right? Yeah, because was of the sliding heist. door? Yeah. That's what it was. The, mm-hmm. Because before the S, uh the minivans came out with sliding doors, 
the MPV is the only one that had the sliding yeah. door. All right, I got it. I remember now. <laughs> All right, what was your question, Jamie? Uh, so if you're hanging out with somebody never heard hip-hop before and they're like, yo, what is hip-hop? Play me one track just to introduce it and, and kind of explain it to me and make me understand what are you talking about. What is the one song you guys are playing? Where do you want to go? What's up? Wait a minute. Where did you get this from? This sounds familiar. <laughs> I texted this on the group chat the other day. Okay. No, it, no, no, it sounded familiar. It's from like Instagram, sure. right? No, no, no. Just, was it from anything? You just came up with this idea? Or? I sa- I had to get it somewhere, but I can't recall where. But I put this on the <laughs> on the group chat. That's what you probably got. No, it. I think I got it from someplace else. But I think it was like an Instagram on like I World Star so. or some shit, right? You I sure? can't fucking remember. You know me. I just get <laughs> shit and I text it to you guys. Right. So anyway, go ahead. Proceed. Right. Who wants Did to you go say first? pussy or proceed? Proceed. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought he said, go ahead, pussy. <laughs> like, who the fuck is he talking to? Go ahead, pussy. I, I mean, had pussy. The, I had to look at this motherfucker. Who wants to go first? Because I told you guys no, to think No, why don't you this. go first? Because you come up with this song. No, because I, I, I don't want you guys to I'll drop go my... First. Go ahead. Why? I would choose uh, Boys in the Hood by Easy. Okay. It's fire. Respectful. It's fire. Me being from LA, I think it's fire. I, I gotta, think there's I only go one. With that. That's a good one. In my head. Yeah. What are you guys going to go with? I I, 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 that I, song just represents everything about... LA like hard bass lines but that's not all hip hop I, like, I, I would just go with my favorite song all time right um, hip hop song Boogie Down Production Love's Gonna Get You mm-hmm. that's a great one wow, it's man. just like it captures everything it's like the storytelling it's talking about the streets KRS is flowing the bars are crazy the beat is dope and like every time I listen to that song by the time it's over first of all I rap every bar along to it yeah. I just feel like I just finished watching the best movie ever, yo. It's so cinematic. That's a good choice. And that's I think that's why I chose Easy because it's, it's like West Coast was well, not known yeah. for like their lyricism. It was about the hard beat. Right. And if you had a car system, like Boys in the Hood was yeah. just crazy. So we just represented West Coast culture. I'm really excited for this. What two. about you, Nev? I'm gonna take it back, man. I'm gonna Go take ahead. it way, way fucking back. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the message. Yeah, that's a good one. Say that. Yeah, it's a great one. It was like I remember when it came out. I was like during the summer of like 80, 81, some shit like that. And the shit that he was talking about, like broken glass everywhere. Yeah. He was talking about the Bronx, basically, where I grew up at. So, it's kinda, it what about me, you, yeah. Cricket? I mean, I'm I'm torn because... Do you give a, a runner-up? I give a runner-up. I would have to say anything by Slick Rick, uh, okay. but mostly probably... Children's uh, Story? Children's Story, but even Mona Lisa, him singing at the end, mm-hmm. like just... Literally rapping about nothing, bringing like that story. I mean, anytime you get a rapper that could tell a story, it's 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 next it's level. Cool. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And then him ending it with the singing just was like insane. Yeah. And that drum, the beat the, is so hard, and the drum the is timeless is so to me. You could mm-hmm. drop that drum, and it's the essence to me of like, to me like Slick Rick embodies like that kind of. I don't know. That that's a great start for hip hop because of the stories. Yeah. But then if I was gonna go close second, would have to be fuck man. Anything like trap called quest like gotta be like I don't know like check the rhyme like as a as like an energy song. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was like you cannot deny check the rhyme. Just mm-hmm. him going back and forth with Fife. Yeah. And then that bass line the doom doom yeah. boom boom boom. And then all of a sudden having it erupt into like the horns yeah. and then the double drums and then just like, I just thought it was, I don't know, to me that was, when I first heard that it was like 
musically it was life changing. I was just like, what the fuck is this? Q Tip's yeah. a genius, bro. Yeah. 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 I'm going to go with uh, Juicy. I think Juicy's like probably the best one. It kind of embodies the Source magazine, Heavy D. He talks about like eating sardines and then Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When mm-hmm. I was that broke, I couldn't. I just think it just it shows a progression, storytelling, and it it gives you yeah, reference man. of hip hop. I was counting on you to do some West Coast shit, Jay. Nah, yeah, I was nah, surprised nah. that you're not doing some West Coast. Why, shit. Why, <laughs> did you gonna say Cypress Hill? <laughs> nah, Melaman Ace. Nah, Juicy has to be for me. Any other questions? Nah, I think that's the only one. I just wanted to talk because, I mean, I think it's a good... The funny thing about uh, Jamie that I'm noticing, and it could be just you or your generation, okay. but you guys are like a sponge. So they they, they absor- you guys absorb a lot of information. Yeah. I think it's just me. And then... Because I'd be asking never mad questions. And then like, yo, you absorb a bunch <laughs> of shit, but then you don't remember where it came from. And then you kind of think it's your own no 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 sometimes, i know where it came some, from i no, know but where it sometimes comes from. you know what i mean i forget i talk shit. to young motherfuckers and like and i think it's because it's not a life experience so there's nothing to trace it back to like yo this you know this dude told me this and he was you know and he gave me that knowledge but it's more like i watched like eighty thousand youtube shits and no. I know how to do all this, <laughs> but I don't know where it came from. No. <laughs> like, it wasn't like my uncle, my uncle Tommy, who taught me how to, like, change some, sh- change the tire. Like, I watched, like, some white dude, and I watched another Mexican dude, like, change the tire, and I learned how to change the tire. <laughs> no, most, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When, it, when it comes to, like, hip-hop 90 shit, I got to talk to either Neva or not, well, now Neva, but it used to be, like, Darren or somebody else, because I was, like, fucking five, six around that. Yeah. When shit yeah. was popping mm-hmm. off. So I asked never be like, yo, how was it here? Like we were just discussing earlier. Um, I told Who's him the choose, best producer? Who, no, who, who, who's my favorite it, producer? Who choose between Easy Mo Beats and uh, Premier? And he said it's Premier. Easy Mo B, not Beats. No beats. Oh yeah, Easy yeah. Mo B, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But um, uh, yeah, and I asked him, and he said uh, Premier. But to me, I was like, I don't know. Easy, Easy had some fucking hits. With Tupac, a, I mean that's a tough one. That's yeah. not a tough one. It's Premier, you see, man. To him, he Premier did, did every Gangstar album. Yeah, every Gangstar affiliated album he produced himself. J. the Damager, Group Home. He did a lot of Ready uh, Ready to Die. He did some MOP. He did Biggie. Some shit for Biggie. He did shit for Jay. Nice. What did Easy Mo B do? He did a he's, lot. He's, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to just Easy Mo B. So, so I, like, I had that, to ask him because that came, that came out wrong. Yeah, but Easy no. B, he did a few. He had some. I, I just think like he Primo had, in, in that lane that he crafted, he's the best at that shit, you know. But Easy B does different styles of productions, you know. And you could say he has shit that bangs harder in the club than Primo's ever had. Primo's not his sound is not for the club, you know. There's hardly, you know, none of that 808 shit. And yeah, he, that Easy B did the warning. Yeah, he did. He don't easy did he did a lot of the the whole of ready to half die of ready album. to yeah. die yeah he but did going back to Cali hypnotize mm-hmm. I think uh, he didn't do hypnotize I mean yeah I think you I think Mo's right about the, just um, the drums itself Temptations yeah. by Tupac who did, who one of my favorite uh, records who did a uh, hypnotize? hypnotize um Stevie J oh, okay yeah. listen I I would still give the nod to Primo you know for the amount for the sheer amount of music no that, that's that exactly I yeah I'm but I, I just like you can't discount Easy Mo B I no just think no no not at all I would never do that he did Temptation by Tupac great record and then, <laughs> the, then he, after I said Primo he asked me how about um, Pete Rock Pete Rock or Primo and now Primo P- 
Pete Rock, I feel like Pete Rock had a, a good run between early 90s to mid 90s. Uh, you got to give Pete Rock props for a lot of things. Of course. He brought horns into hip hop, right? Kind of. No, I think it was digging Q in the crates. Q-Tip did that. D-I-T-C, they, they were doing... You think so? Yeah. They were doing that from day one. I mean... You the, know, even the Premier, echoing, the, the first Gangstar album. Dude, the echoing horns. The... It was like, he really kind of... I felt like Q-Tip was doing the request. But also. not really like every... I mean, dude, he would, the horns were the main samples, bro. Yeah. Like, I think... And I think he also revolutionized... Like ad libbing. I think yeah. if he didn't do that shit, like doing <coughs> Pete Rock remix, like no one said that shit. Let me tell While you. While CL Smooth was rapping, he'd be in the background like, ha, ah, yeah, my God, all this shit. Here's your original Migos. Yo, in 94, if you were to ask me, Pete Rock or Premiere, I would say Pete Rock in 94. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, I, I would have to say Premiere. Yeah. Premiere because Premier had, of the legacy. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's what I'm saying, man. But yeah. you got to also think back of like what Premiere did. Like and you can't like, like the ad libs. I think Diddy took that one hundred percent, saying like, who who gave like no one gave a fuck about remixes back in the day. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like he kind of revolutionized the remix, to me. And then like, you were waiting for him to say like another Pete Rock remix, at the end, and mm -hmm. doing the, his ad libs around the mm -hmm. rapper, mm -hmm. like and then Diddy kind of did that with Biggie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, I don't know, man. The little things like that I noticed about P. Rock. But yeah, you're right. As far as the legacy, mm -hmm. I mean, Premier. Premier. You got to give it to Premier. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But they're, they're all know. great producers at the end of the day. So yeah, it's yeah. like I'm not discrediting any of those guys <laughs> at all. No, he's they're not. all still alive. They could be listening. <laughs> yeah, <yep. laughs> Maybe I just had a soft spot for Easy just because he worked with Pac. Yeah. And man. it was like. There weren't too many, well, I guess, I East Coast producers messing versatile. with West Coast guys. I think he was the more versatile. The also, Easy, he was. Wait, what are you saying? I think he was the more versatile of the three. He, he was. He, he but worked not, not to say not to say that Primo and uh, and Pete Rock can't do another sound. They just stuck to their sound. Yeah, right? that's true. They just stuck to it. Easy won't be. He worked with Miles Davis before he passed. Not many producers could say they worked with Miles Davis. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah. I give it to Easy about that's that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean. Fuck it. I mean, anything else, Jamie? Any questions? No, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Easy Mobile also did a fucking Flavor Year. Right. Just so yeah. put that out That's there. His biggest yeah, yeah. Song. I mean, fuck. Um, wait, what do we want to talk about here? Jewel, I mean, there's a couple of joints. Jules Santana running from the airport. Y'all know about this shit? <laughs> I didn't hear that yet. <laughs> yeah. Motherfucker, the TSA found the gun and he dashed. How the fuck does that happen? He dipped the set. Oh, no. right. I don't know. Did he forget that he had the gun on him? I or did he so. think he could successfully sneak it? He no, there's no, there's no way he tried to sneak a gun or, on a plane. Or maybe some, like, or he maybe, forgot the gun was in the bag. Uh, this, is my, in, this is my my first thought. Some demonic, devilish bitch. Put the gun. Put it in there. That's why they always ask you, did you pack your own bags? Yeah. That's why you have to make sure. Maybe but, why, she, but why did he run? Mm. Because they found a gun and he dashed, and it's fucking New. Was it New York or New it's Jersey? Newark, Newark. What Airport. was he thinking though? Why would you run? I want to see the video though. It was him just first. Nobody caught him, and nobody tried to stop him at the door. I think, and he's at TSA because TSA is useless, my friend. T I don't think TSA is security. <laughs> TSA is, is window safety, right? No, Transit, it's, it's window dressing. Yeah, yo, it's window dressing, dude. The most useless job in the world. 
It's TSA. Going it's back, TSA. Going back to I've never one. seen a, a group of more useless people in my life. The U, the United States TSA, America T, American TSA is the most useless motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. All the views of this uh, past <laughs> statement are crickets. Well, I'm yeah, saying, man, I, ain't fuck, I ain't fucking with the TSA. <laughs> Pissing, I let us go to Brazil, bro. What the fuck, yo? You wild man? Nah, I'm not shit. I'm not. Listen, I'm not shitting on the. Oh, I'm I am saying, shitting on the people. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, I am shitting on them. More on the program. I've never seen a bunch of like useless motherfuckers, and then as soon as they get an inkling of power, act like complete assholes. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm just uh, saying. And then like there'll be like five of them talking, and just like, and they'll be like, they're not opening any lines up. They're not doing shit. They're not helping doing nothing. <laughs> they're just hanging out. Yeah, just, bum, just bums. They look <laughs> like bums, yo. With the blue on. The worst, is, the worst is when like one of them is replacing the other one. They make it seem like, oh man, they all like I fucking did my job today. Stood here like, for six hours. Ships. You <laughs> sat down. You looked at IDs, bro. Man. It's a horrible job. You know what I mean? It's horrific. They can't. They can't be doing it with any passion or, you know, pride. It's so terrible. But they job. shouldn't take it out on us because <coughs> they don't like what they're doing. But who else? They ain't gonna go up to, to the fucking. I think manager. they. I think they really enjoy them random searches. Oh, Motherfucker, you look like a fucking man. TSA person today. Like, man. oh, you've been randomly, you've been <laughs> red, randomly one. chose to get scanned. It's I like, really what? hate that shit. I always get randomly chosen. Who, who's who's searching you? Like Monique or something? Yeah, like fucking like <laughs> so yeah, plain man, with the fucking rubber gloves and shit. <laughs> to put you in like, the back yo, room. I ain't did nothing. They put man. you in the back room. <laughs> I just, I just hate it when they make it. When, I hate it when they make it more than their job. When they're like interviewing you. Like, hey, yeah. what happened at this picture? They're looking at your ID. Hey, what, what's up with your picture? Oh, yeah. I've they start conversations. <laughs> like, every person is a conversation. They Every ID they check in is a fucking conversation. Man. I hate that shit. And yeah. then the, the one dude that's standing by the door that's like, please take out your liquids and take out. They try to make a joke like, hey, yeah, no live animals in your bags either. Yeah. You know, like those fucking guys. <laughs> like water bottles, toothpaste. Yo, the craziest TSA story ever. We're catching a flight with the Everyday People team. So it's me, Sada, Roble. And uh, Roble, he's like a celebrity chef. And he, they search him. While we're going through the thing, they hold him back to search him. And we're waiting. And then we're waiting for so long that we're borderline going to miss the flight. So we're like, Roble, we got to go to the flight. We got to catch this flight. So we go and wait by the gate. And apparently they're holding him. Because this one TSA lady is a huge fan of his. And they're waiting for and they're him. waiting for her to come get a picture. Yo, I quit. he waited like 15 minutes. He was like, what the fuck's going on? She took the picture, and then he missed the flight. No compensation, nothing. That's insane. It's like, Damn. did he report them, or did he say anything to anyone? Should we report them now, mama? <laughs> I, you know, I don't think he did. I think he just took that the might L. be one of the wildest Damn, stories I've and, ever heard. And took the next flight or whatever. He, oh, he was man. pissed. That's so, pretty crazy. That's TSL TSA so, in a nutshell. She wanted a picture. picture. <laughs> she wanted a picture. Dude, I've you you've been through security in other countries. That yeah. shit is a well oil machine. <laughs> it's true. You can't talk to me about like yo, why you hate you know TSA? I hate on them because Amer these fucking Americans right are just making America look bad. By bringing everything else besides the fact that they have a job, they're bringing their personality, they're doing all of this shit. I go to Japan, this shit is like a well oiled machine. I feel like, oh fuck, I, I, I better get ready. Mm -hmm. Like, cause it, it's just, I go to Ger I went to like, I went through Germany, even London was like a well oiled machine. Like, you gotta be, 
like it's it's moving so well when you're it's your turn to put the bags up you're like i don't want to fuck this up right you're like <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah whereas like all these motherfuckers they don't have that shit like yeah. it's just it's a fucking i don't know man it just makes a look america look bad and i think it's in a nutshell it's just it's not even like it's just done horribly wrong if you think our president was doing a bad job at making america look bad but <laughs> shit TSA TSA fucking takes sad man <laughs> um all right, man. I mean, there's nothing else really. Tory Lane's album. Hey, how's your album doing, bro? Hey, you know what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to thank the fans. It's uh, been a good week. Fifty thousand units. That's first good. Week, That's know. good. I, I heard. So, what your beef with Travis? Yeah, you why were you squaring up, B? Oh nah, man, it's he, he didn't want to smoke. Nah, Mo, yeah. you seen this? <laughs> nah, he <laughs> looked like you were ready to fight. There's bro. a video of Tory Lane's like trying to like. I don't know. Like. <laughs> no, okay, here goes. Travis Scott was trying to G check him, but Tory Lanez wasn't backing down, being five foot, and Tor- and uh, Travis Scott being six, almost six feet. But he's like, no, we can we can squab right now. Everybody can leave the room, and we're just. What was squab. the beef about? That I don't know. No. Oh, oh, the beef was about he felt that. Um, oh, tra- he, he was jacking his style. Yeah, Tory Lanez was jacking Travis style on his new album. Uh, uh, did he step to Kanye like that or? No, I just it's okay. I mean, he was talking some like horrendous, like like he was talking major shit. Tory Lanez Uh, on the video, yeah, yeah. He was like, yo, he he knew the camera was on. He knew the camera was on, though. Even though it looked like it was under a bag of chips, because Tory was like, yo, man, we. He's like, fuck all this talk. We could catch the fade right now. Let's Uh, fucking do it. I'm down. He was that night. You want to smoke? I never heard that line before. Smoke. Yeah. I guess that it's means like, beef. Yeah, you want oh, yeah, beef? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You ever heard Swiss? <coughs> you want smoke? Yeah, you trying to catch the smoke? You never heard Swiss when he was coming going at Tim Timberland about the pro- producer battle? He's like, yeah. you don't want, you're not with the smoke. He's like, you, you don't like, want the with, smoke. You don't want the smoke. <laughs> I had never heard it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but he was saying, but he was telling Travis Scott that, yo, you want the smoke? We could clear this room out. We could do it right here. Damn. He's like, yeah, we can shoot the fade, and Travis like, nah, man, nah, nah, nah. What is do rag on? That's just funny. I don't know, man. I just. I, have you heard the new album? I haven't. I haven't heard it yet. Um, I heard it. How would you think? I thought it was alright. Was it better than the first one? The first one had mad interludes. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was all like very, very solid songs. The thing with, um, <clears throat> with, with, with Tory Lanez is that, you know, he just kind of sometimes he sounds like other people. You know, he, he does so many remixes. Yeah, so like I don't know. I mean, remixes. I, I went through it once and I was just like, I right, this whole thing is very, very solid. But I didn't, com- I didn't come back to it because I don't think there was a song that or two that stood out like, oh, that's the one. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like no Say It or Love from his past projects that was like... I mean, I only it. listened once, you know what I mean? But You know what I think he needs? I think he needs a brilliant producer. A brilliant, yeah. a brilliant partner or writer or producer to just kind of tell him, these are the songs you need to make. Right. Because I think... You know what I mean? He hasn't figured out his sound yet, but like a good producer will figure it out because the motherfucker could sing and, and rap. Yeah, mm-hmm. And they're doing a bit of everything as a result. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. But is that album more rapping than singing? Or I think it's half and half. Yeah. I, I think he should be singing more, man. I think to be he's honest. A, yeah. I think he should like go after the dance hall kind why, of vibe. Why doesn't he do more of that? Say It was his best song to me. Yeah. I like Love. Why doesn't he do more the Say controller It? The Controller remix is crazy. Yeah, that yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Controller remix is crazy. Sorry, I think he should go more on the Love is good. Yeah, Love is good, too. Love, love is, is good. a really good record. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. Like, he, I kind of don't want to hear him rap. I, he, he did that no, one song with uh, Sean Paul as well. It was really good. 
I think he's a good rapper when it's un- when it's like when he's not saying he's a rapper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like Chris Brown when he did that fucking Turner Lucas joint. No, no, no. With the Buster shit, the boom, boom, boom. boom. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he just started yeah. flowing. When he just started flowing, you're like, oh shit! Like Chris Brown, f- you know, rapping. Rih- you know, oh shit, Lemon, Rih- Rihanna rapping. Yeah. Who's yeah. who's the worst R&B singer to rapper transition career ever? I got it. Tyrese. Who? Tyrese. I was gonna say Tyrese too. <laughs> Was the what first thing that came to mind. He was black know? tie, right? Yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. Was Tyrese? He did a double album. It might be a tie with Ryan Leslie. Oh, remember Ryan when Ryan Leslie yeah. stopped singing? I forgot just, he tried. He to just rap. wanted to rap like 2008 <laughs> Fabulous, yeah, for no reason. It was the 2010s yeah. when he started doing the rap. Dime, Diamond Girl wasn't that bad. Was no, no, it? but Diamond Girl, but he, he was, was still a singer. No, but he was like, I'm a toxic baby. I'm a toxic baby. Can you imagine a whole album of three verses of that? Oh, what 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 album was that? Something about Swiss Franks or whatever, you know, the one where he was just Didn't he he rapped on that song with Slim too, right? From one twelve. Yeah. Can't think of the name of that track. It was like the follow up single to Slim's first single that he had with Young Jock. I can't remember. It was like it was like oh eight. What's up with this like he had such a Ryan Leslie had such a good He's a sound genius. So genius talented. Too. He was man. good, man. So talented. I think he, f- he fell off after Diddy took Cassie from him. Yeah, that, that Cassie and, and Ryan Leslie record, Damn, the last one. That's kind of deep. Nev just like <laughs> hit the nail on the head. Man. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. That beat yeah. was nuts, too. You think that was his muse? I think so. That I was like his. Had. He didn't have like. Damn, because yeah, after that he stopped doing shit. That was after that was like oh nine on two thousand ten. I thought him right. and Fabulous had a great marriage, like working like oh he did. I think uh, Fabulous' um, best yeah. work was with Ryan Leslie. That was like the best thing he did. Um, yeah, yeah. You be killing them. I be killing them. Yeah, 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 exactly. I fucking shit went hard. Yeah. You know what? I, what happened to Rich Harrison? Remember? You oh, Rich Harris. He doing crazy in love. Yeah, he did. Emery. Yeah, he did. Uh, What's the song by Amory? One thing. Oh, he did. He did a whole did album. A whole album. He yeah, almost two albums. The first for Amory. two albums. He, he fell off too. Jeez. I don't, I don't know about fell, fell off. Fell off. I think he, he just stopped doing stopped shit. Doing shit. <laughs> I think he just stopped working. <laughs> he had crazy momentum. Why is he still in New York though? He's still around. He's got to be working on some shit. He was such know, a genius man. though. Well, that he, dude could be running the company. He did. He did that whole technology thing where he gave his uh, phone number to all his fans so oh, they could yeah. all text him and so he created a super phone that can handle receiving hundreds to thousands of uh, text messages he's on some technology shit yeah oh. like I guess he has an app right yeah, yeah he has an app for his following or some shit like that like he knows where they live and they, he can yeah. pop up and all this shit and the it's apps wild. available to the public I'm I read confused. about it what? he has an what? app what? that pretty much it can help you channel your de- your fan base it's like database. A, it's like his own MySpace. And help promote. Yeah. When, did, when did this start? When it's did been he like start a, doing it? Three years. Yeah. Three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. How many fans do, do you have? That's I'm my other sure. question. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm not sure>. <laughs> <laughs> that was my other question. Ryan How many? He's got to have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of fans. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. worldwide. hundreds of thousands. Worldwide. I thought you were okay. say a hundred. <laughs> wow. A hundred thousands. A hundred. His views on YouTube are crazy, right? Like he's got crazy, his YouTube stuff, like his, uh, to, his, uh, his when he shows how he like, makes yeah. beats and all that. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> you guys want to get into the, <laughs> the little Zan shit or not? Nah. Nah. Little uh, Zan? About what? I mean, yo. He's saying Tupac was a number two. Nah, but it's Rated just like, t- it's one just, to ten. isn't it right now the point where like, why are we expecting these kids? How old is he? I don't think I think eighteen. But why did why did like what's his name? Mike Rappaport, right? Yeah. He keeps like shitting on these kids. But he shits on everybody. Yeah. That's true. But he keeps shitting on these kids about not knowing 
about Tupac and Biggie and all of this shit. Well, one, he worked mm-hmm. with Tupac, and then he did that great documentary on a uh, tribe. Yeah, I know that, but I'm just trying to so say is that aren't we better off like telling them like, yo, instead of like d- like trashing them, and just and shitting shit. them, teach them, like teach them, like yo, yeah, man, I agree with you. Like man. yo, here's here's some of the songs that you should maybe check out. Yeah. Like Little Zan, like he, of course he's not gonna know the impact of Tupac, and I'm gonna be honest with you, and West Coast motherfuckers might kill me. No, I, I'm about to I'm about to say the same thing, but go ahead. Like, Tupac is dope, and I love Tupac, and I respect the motherfucker, but during the time, that time in New York, like, he was not in any of my rotation at all, except maybe Get Around, and then the first <coughs> album. Man, nobody was checking for Tupac in New York back then. And this is, like, even after he passed away. Hey, man, don't get snuffed out here. Some, no, I mean, you know. I understand that. I understand <laughs> that, because he was on some real yeah, West Coast shit. He was real West Coast shit, even though he was from the East Coast. Yeah. I was wild, but they wasn't fucking around. They wasn't fucking with him even when Above the Rim came out. Nah, not really. I, they liked it. They, they, they liked, liked him his in movies. Queens, they, they liked, liked the him movies. in Queens. They like they liked him in South Jamaica and all that. Fifty Cent. All those guys are influenced by Pac. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. I don't know, man. For yeah. me, it Bronx was like Manhattan say no. Queen says yes. It wasn't. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a big thing. It, 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 it wasn't a movement. No, it wasn't a movement. Because you guys had big. I, no, 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 no. I liked like Trapped, like that first album. Mm-hmm. It was like trapped. trapped. It was mm-hmm. Brenda's having a baby, all that shit, and then like get around was dope. Dear Mama, all that shit, and then that was cool. Yeah, as soon as, was dope. as soon as Dear that Mama death row cool. shit happened, it was like it was cool, but it was like it, it was, was high. It was just yeah. super West Coast. Me yeah. against the world was my favorite pop album, and it was still like he wasn't on some real West Coast shit yet. Oh, he was about the message at that point. Yeah, you was y'all was on that like Tupac heavy like that Machiavelli and all that shit nah I was big on Pac until what's what's the Death Row double album All Eyes, all on, eyes, all on, eyes me. on Me I, li- I still liked All Eyes On Me but I wasn't into like Machiavelli and all that other shit All Eyes I, On Me was probably it's funny I actually one. like Machiavelli like that was like the only Tupac album I liked it's like Hail Mary but I think yeah, come, yeah. come Machiavelli come Machiavelli I got sick and tired of Pac using the same rhymes my enemies, Hennessy, Tennessee's. Cemetery. I was just like, smoking right, weed. It's been five <laughs> albums. Five <laughs> albums. Because I was still on some MC <coughs> lyrical shit. So at that American point, I just, it kind of like expired for me. Mm-hmm. I got a question, and me and Mo talk about this all the time. It's, it's actually two things. And he's the one that planted the seed in my head. Pause. Like That's not a pause. Go ahead. Um, about Biggie having a Ghost Rider on the second album. Oh, yeah. That's. You think so? Yeah, yeah. How so? Because just uh, everything yeah. sounds like mace. Uh, wait, never mind. <laughs> fuck you. Up. Hold on. Again, between Darren. Okay, continue. Uh, everything sounds like mace. You know, Biggie had a s- certain flow on the first album. You could tell it was all him. You know, but everything on the second album sounds like mace. Matter of fact, just say the, the verse to "More Money, More Problems." Just say it using um, Mace's voice. B I D B I G P P O P P A. No info for the D E A. Federal agents, man, cousin, pain, man, time myself. And the flow in the Maybe he just took the flow. I think Biggie was just enjoying life. I think he was enjoying life. No, Biggie was a machine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was bigger than just him as a rapper. It's just like you got you got Puffy. You got Bad Boy. You got all of New York looking to him. They just had to produce this amazing album, and they did it. You know what I mean? But it took them like two and a half years to produce this album. It was a, a double album. album. Yeah, it was two albums. But during the um, recording, did he get into a car accident? No, nah, but, nah, but you forget. But you also, but you also, you also forget. I mean, he was 
pushing Junior Mafia, Little Kim, and all of this other shit yeah. in those two and a half years. That's why. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know what I mean? He was doing all these other projects. He was getting money. From, so you say you know? he goes to vote the whole album? No. I just think there's some. So, so I know some more money, more problems. I could there's some ghost writing that. on the second yeah, album. Yeah, we talk about what this. Other song? What, what other song? What other song? Besides, Yo, my imagine, money, but problems. imagine we're all in the studio and it's your turn to have an album. And when it was my album, you were helping write some choruses and you were trying to make the songs. As, we were all trying to make my songs the best it could be. I mean, it's like okay, kind of but it's kind of like the Visa with Wu Tang. When each Wu Tang member came out with their own album, they all helped each other record the album. Like I'm, I heard that um, Genius wrote all of ODB shit. But I believe that because ODB wasn't just like he wasn't like a lyrical type. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He was more of a character. Yeah, like flavor. And that's not if somebody tells me that somebody wrote ODB's rhymes, that doesn't take away from ODB's legacy. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody told me that you know Biggie rhymes were written, or God forbid, you know. Nas or Jay Z rhymes were written by somebody else. That would really that impact would the legacy. For yeah. that. I, I think when it comes to like a j like what do they call that jiggy raps? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Mace is the king of jiggy yeah. raps. Mm. Biggie was never a jiggy rapper. I, think, I don't think he wrote hypnotize. Yo, That's what I was gonna ask. Listen, hypnotize? Listen, listen, song, I think hypnotize is Mace. Yo, listen to the the songs on what the album. Back to they're, they're distinctly different. I don't know that, the yeah. songs on the album distinctly different. You have what's beef. Mm -hmm. Life after death, and then you have like more money, more problems. Sky's the limit. It's like, yo, you know, like, uh, what's beef are like ready to die records. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Hypnotize, I just disagree with you on that one, man. I think Why? Biggie wrote that. I Why? don't think Mace wrote it. Wait, what is the the? I could real millionaire shit. Escargo, my, my car go one sixty. It's all Mace. It's all Mace. Do one run run. Do, do one, one run run. run. <laughs> it's all Mace. <laughs> Damn. I know y'all sick of this sweet uh, nigga with clothes that know, say man. sweet Dude, like licorice. licorice. It's all maze, so bro. So get with this. It's not Maisy. <laughs> Yo, I can't that. see that, man. No, no, no. You don't hear the flow? Me you don't hear sweet the flow? like I'm licorice? Win. I'm winning never on this. Fuck yeah, all y'all. I can't see that, man. <laughs> biggie, biggie, biggie. I, I give you more you money, see? but uh -huh, fucking hypnotize. No. I think What about going back to Cali? But listen, I don't know. Maybe he might have wrote it. Maybe somebody else did. It don't sound like a Biggie flow. But and but it still got that N O T O R I O U S. You just lay down slow. It still sounds a lot like your man Mace. You know what I mean? Shit, man. Never don't believe the hype. I, know, I, I don't believe that. Why do you, think, why do you think Mace is so disgruntled? Like when you when you hear Mace, remember in the interviews when he was being but he interviewed, has no reason to be disgruntled. He's disgruntled because like yo, I was I, I played my position. I didn't say anything. I was writing for Diddy. He's, he didn't want to say I was writing for Biggie. You know what I mean? But why would he be disgruntled? He came out with his album. He sold like a six, he may seven not have million. Got compensated. He didn't get compensated maybe for the writing, mm. yo. And then when it's time for the second album, he disappeared. Yeah, from the whole industry. Mm. There's, a, there's a story behind that There's a big story behind that That nobody's talking here. about Listen Everything is, 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 is speculation Something is more speculation Than others I don't know why Mace left I don't have that story <laughs> But I can tell you that Those rhymes On Biggie albums Sound a lot like Mace I don't know On man. Hypnotize On Going Back to Cali On More Money More Problems It just sounds a lot like Mace But you still got Biggie On like What's Beef And all those other joints Yeah huh? You know what I'm saying? It's a double album, bro. It's a, it takes a village. You know what I mean? Even, even going back to Cali, you wouldn't think he wrote that one? No, he, he just gave us a, the... I gave you the Mace flow. The example. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yo. Because uh, to, right. well, to me, my favorite rappers is 
Pac and Biggie. I can't hear somebody saying. Oh, so the thing about Pac, you know, nobody wrote Pac shit. It was Pac because it was the same rhyme over Hennessy and over and, weed. and over. <laughs> yeah, but to me, those. Two, so if somebody and then it's Jay Z and somebody tells me. Jay-Z didn't write his shit. My head would explode. if you, And it goes shit. the same way with Cole. Oh, man, we're squabbing. No, but uh, you can tell Jay-Z writes all his shit. And, and Cole, we know, writes all his shit. You yeah. Know? Just I, Cole. Kendrick writes all his shit. I think it has to do with that, that just that era of bad boy. Just like everyone helping each other out. Like everyone was like helping each other and writing for each other and trying I to mean, come I mean, I think bad boy might have been... I mean, dude, you're one of the first openly just commercial hip hop enterprises. You know what I mean? It started it like, all. Yeah. We're just like, hey, we're going to push it's, everything it's commercial. Like, would you say it's like Motown of hip hop? No way. In a way, yeah. yeah. Could, everything could you, was in house. Yeah. And you still got those compilations. Remember those compilations? Uh, hip hop, remember Bad the, Boy, the R&B. There was yeah, so total. much music. But, dude, yeah, remember, I mean, you had like one of those, the one of the rare times when they had like producer crews, like Hitman. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. everyone was just working together, part of this big machine. Right. And Diddy yeah. was just raking all the dough, probably. You know what I mean? I don't think I ever remember a time as a kid where it was like one label just dominating radio. Like right. when you had Total, One Twelve, Faith, Faith Evans, Faith, Mace, yeah, Biggie, Biggie, Junior Biggie. Mafia, all of, all had hits Black at the Rob. same time. Black Rob, yeah. the Locks, G Dep, they all had hits at the same time. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Was a, and, he, and he's kind of still going. Yeah. Did he? You know what I'm saying? Well, he but. dropped number two on the Forbes list. Jay-Z big, got him up, you know? So, another thing, and I know it's, it's getting a little long, pause, but I want to, <laughs> I want, I, I got to clear this up because me and him talk about this. And you have more info, and I'm not as eloquent and well-spoken as you to explain this. But it has to do about the gangster rap that came in the 90s and how it was part of, like, a secret society of like white or record labels who are tired of the 90s like native tongue afrocentric black pride uh black education we more like boogie down production all of that shit um public enemy yeah so like in the early 90s right late 80s there was this influx of like educated black rappers preaching unity um Self, you're headed for self-destruction. Self-love, medallions, um, all of that, all of that shit. Uh, Africa, you know, all of this, all of this shit, and um, like a group of like white record, like important white. Just, was yeah, it white or no? So they weren't the all legend, white. The legend this is, is deep, man. Go yeah, ahead. no, the legend is that around '90 or '91, there was a meeting consisting of um, record industry people, some people from the government, some people from the CIA. And they were talking about the direction of this hip-hop music that was gaining in popularity and that could potentially, you know, educate all these enslaved masses. You know what I mean? And, like, this shit is no bueno. And I think after that, there's a consensus that the record labels started pumping uh, a lot of music into gangster rap to kind of change the direction of hip-hop and, like, dumb it down to, uh, you know, serve some sinister kind of thing and that's when you see after that liquor commercials pushing liquor blunts 40 ounce and it was you know the chronic dr dre all that shit just skyrocketed was this before you saying 91 it's around 91 this is before nwa fucked the police no nwa fucked the police is 89 89 or 90 88 it was 88 it was 88 yeah yeah so that was after Mm. and so they they 
And then after that, there was a rise in West Coast. You know, Ice T, um, yeah. NWA, but, but, but Ice, Ice T. He's from Jersey. Ice T got um, banned yeah. from Warner Brothers when he did Cop Killer. Yeah, this he, was like in '91. Yeah, but it still kind of played in the whole the big scheme in terms of the marketing of the hip hop. Mm-hmm. That that shit. I mean, it gave Ice T so much exposure. You know, the, the whole cop killer thing. Mm-hmm. And he rebounded from that. Was Nicely. he in New Jack City after that or some yeah. shit? Yeah. Ricochet. Where did, that, movies. where did that, that came from a letter that <clears throat> one of the executives wrote, right? Somebody, yeah, somebody wrote a letter that, that they Who was in the that. meeting. One of the executives who was in the meeting wrote a letter or some type of statement saying, I got to let you know what happened because it's been eating me up and it's fucked up what we did to this music or whatever the fuck. Something like that, right? right? Yeah, and it's still. I mean, it's still. I think the results of that, it's still going on to this day. You know what I mean? So you're saying this is the reason why there's no more Ed's Clan albums? Yes, that's the reason why you got Little Pumps and Little Zanax or whatever their name is. Fuck them. That's that's the reason why you got music like that that's being supported wildly by the record industry. It's a lot. I would say there's something to that just because when you go to a 50-year-old white woman or 50-year-old Asian woman or whatever the fuck, right? Mm-hmm. And you ask them what hip-hop is and they're like, oh, they're always talking about bitches. Right. Weed and weed, money. drugs, money, and cars. killing they, cops. I think they successfully rebranded hip-hop to where they wanted it to be. But, mm. like, at the time, like, I was getting a lot of my information from hip-hop, you know, in 1988, Public Enemy, Nation of Millions. You know, I was not Googling, but I would ask, like, all the people who's Jay Edgar Hoover like what is he talking about you know what's all this you know Malcolm X what, what, what's yeah. all this shit remember like Brand Nubian everyone wanted to be a 5% Muslim right yeah I had Puerto Ricans who were acting like they were they were like I don't eat pork I'm like why don't you eat pork <laughs> it was also um, Big Daddy Kane was a Muslim yeah. he had poor righteous teachers it was it was the 5% yo and then Malcolm X came out it was like it was actually like, yo, it was a cool shit to be a, to be Muslim. I remember when that movie came out, man. I, I remember I in New 10, York. Well, not was, to interrupt yeah, you, but remember, like, you had like white kids wearing like Kufis. African medallions, yeah, the, Kufis the, on the black head. medallions, the, the hats with the ets on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I never did that. I shit, think that, but, I, I think <laughs> that whole movement really like peaked with that song, "Self Destruction," when every major rapper in the game at the time, predominantly East Coast. Mm-hmm. Th- came on that one posse cut just preaching unity and you know put down the guns and drugs and all of that shit that movement peaked and after that they just like yo we're gonna squash this shit because this could be a problem in the long term what were you saying d sorry no i was just speaking about the malcolm x movie and how much powerful and how much pride people had like growing up in la like it was just a straight movement like you can go anywhere you see x hats medallions daishikis like it was just like a thing it was like he was just really proud and I mean, then I feel like the know. whole movement, like he's speaking on, just reminds me that. Remember that scene in uh, CB4 where the dude, like the executive's, his like son, like starts rapping all this gangster shit, and his dad's like, "Oh shit! Like what is this?" Right. Yeah, MC was rapping MC Gusto. Mm-hmm. Like, right. just, that's yeah. that's what I think of when he was, when he was speaking about this whole thing. You I think I, mean? I think there's. I mean, I think it's an interesting fucking possibility. You know what I mean? I think it. Did, I mean, I think it did happen. And and also just compare like an artist like like Tupac, when his profile was more like black revolutionary 
versus when his profile was just like gangster rapper. Death Row. And yeah. just look at the difference in his career. You know what I mean? And how he just got elevated the minute he was just on some straight up ignorant death row shit. It's true. Because yeah. he was on some black revolutionary shit. Yeah, you know? black. I mean, his, his mom mom's a black, a black panther. panther and this and his dad or stepdad, whatever it was. I mean, he was like, wait, so like going through this, the gangster era, the death row era, right? And then you had the bad boy era. And then how long did that era last, the, the death row shit? From ninety, only ninety five to ninety six. No, no, ninety two. No, ninety two. But you're definitely attributing that that death row era to be one of the main co- like culprits for the for this shit. So I think so. Ninety two to like ninety eight. I'd say ninety six, right after Pac died. Yeah, ninety six is when it yeah. came into shambles. And Snoop had left by then. Yeah, he yeah, went to right, all women. To. That's when death row. So the question is, do you think like the, the Jimmy Iveens and all of these motherfuckers were kind of possibly had a hand in it of course i mean maybe they did maybe they didn't maybe they just got a directive from the head of sony or warner or whatever to say hey guys this year we're pushing gangster rap was that jimmy iveen's first hip-hop like the, the chronic. investment the chronic the yeah. chronic then that's a little weird huh no but you know it's crazy because he was doing no. rock he was, no, doing, he was doing like yeah he was doing like marilyn um, manson you two nine inch nails and then for him to all of a sudden invest in dr dre and for Dr. Dre, all of a sudden, to talk about weed, because remember, it was odd for him. He yeah. didn't smoke. He was just smoking, yeah. Well, Snoop Dogg supposedly. Well, because Jimmy Iovine is the one that got Dre out of his contract with Death Row. Yeah. Right? Like, he's the one that, like, helped leverage, get him get him out of that contract. No. Um, no. He got him out of uh, Ruthless. 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 Right. He's Sorry, the, um, Ruthless. Yeah. And, and then uh, Death Row was his and Shug's with Interscope. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, that's deep. But. That's scary. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Right. I believe that more than I believe Biggie didn't write Hypnotize. Wow. On that note. No. Yeah. yeah. Actually, um, yo, man, we're hitting like fucking three hours here. I don't know if y'all yeah, want to yeah, keep it. Yeah, we got to Anything else? Anything nah, else? man. Mm-hmm. Nah, I think. Yo, Momo, that was yeah. dope, man. Yeah. Yo, Mo, thanks for coming appreciate through, man. You, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, your time. Now you, hey, you, know, you know what? Uh, yo. You're like our first black DJ guest. So that yeah. means a lot. Word. I was telling him, like, <laughs> we, we have a black a DJ in house. I know. <laughs> we have two. We have two. But I was just telling him, like, yo, we got too many, like, fucking, you know. I mean, we, we had two white dudes, one the, Asian. The closest we had was friends. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you was going to say Scooter. Brother. Scooter's an honorary. Yeah. Scooter yeah. is honorary yeah. as well. Francis is an honorary brother, right? Exactly. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right, yo. Yo, Mo. Appreciate it. I do. Thank you. Man. He actually, you talked him into flying in just for the pod. Yeah, yo. I, you know what, man, Mo. Appreciate you know, that. The so fucking much. homie. He flew uh, from LA to Vegas, and uh, you know, I know you got a gig tomorrow. And yo, we appreciate Back it. Back in Brooklyn. Oh man, my pleasure, man. This shit was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Man. Good looks, man. Right, Thank right. you, Mo. All right. Clap it up, Mo.